Hello, thank you for joining Above Replacement Radio, everybody. We talked about some of the managerial hirings that went on in the league with Craig Council going to the Cubs and whatnot. And we also talked about our biggest hits and misses from the players to watch before the season started. We also went through our predictions for the BBWAA awards and went through some of our custom awards for the 2023 season. Let's get into it. Baseball isn't just numbers, numbers, numbers. This game is not being played on computers. You don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. You don't put a team together with a computer. computer. We're talking weighted runs created plus. Expected Woba. Sweet spot rate. Defensive runs above average. Average exit velocity. Barrel rate. XFIP. BABIP. S-I-E-R-A. We are above replacement radio. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball, kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Giant. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing well today. It is the first official episode of the offseason, uh, and we, you know, we knew that it was going to be one uh, with high expectations. We have Shohei Otani's free agency. We have uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto coming over from Japan. We have possibly a Juan Soto trade. We have the best first-year Hall of Fame class in AR history. But what we didn't know we were going to have was uh, G- uh, was manager free agency. And that's what we got this week with Craig Council. And uh, I mean, out of everything that's actually happened in this week, that's probably the most notable thing that we've seen. Craig Council going to the Cubs. Yeah, exactly. One of the and definitely one of the more just respected managers out there in the game right now uh, has been leading the Brewers for quite a while. Um, Nine definitely- years. Uh, eight years, you said nine, nine years, nine years, nine years with the Brewers, um, a fairly successful run, especially for a team that's not really a big budget team um, and relies a lot on, you know, just logically doing the right things and, and whatnot. Um, and yeah, his contract ended with the Brewers, uh, no extension there, no re-signing there and goes to a you know, maybe the Brewers' biggest competitor for the division next year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very possible that that's that. Not only that, but a team that the Brewers have had, you know, quite a rivalry rivalry with for a while. I mean, Milwaukee and Chicago are only uh, an hour apart from each other by drive. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of Cubs fans that go to Milwaukee, a lot of Brewers fans that go to Wrigley uh, when the two play each other. And there is also, you know, like in the middle of, council's tenure with the brewers that you know that 2018 race with the cubs that came down to a 160 game 163 for the division um this is i mean it was definitely a very un very surprising move uh for council to have made you know the the consensus was that it was going to be either the brewers or mets um when he signed and we got like a mystery team sort of vibe from everyone and the cubs gave him uh, a five-year contract where he'll be making $40 million, uh, so $8 million a year, and that would make him the highest-paid manager in baseball history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, good for him, you know, getting, you know, getting that bread as they, uh, as they call it. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's an interesting opportunity and it kind of makes sense why he is kind of more enthusiastic to get into this, into this role. Uh, I, I know that, you know, financial reasons, there there's definitely that and also it it's not much of a move obviously it's a you know it's an hour drive from uh, milwaukee as you as you mentioned and along with that cubs are coming off a year where you know they they disappointed at the end however they did kind of 
exceed expectations. They were probably expected to be more like a 75, 80 win team. They win 83 games. They almost make the playoffs. And not only that, they have like a consensus, like top five farm system in baseball right now. Um, They have some guys coming up. They have some young talent. They have uh, some guys who are in their prime, like Dansby Swanson and Justin Steele, who uh, are, you know, hitting their prime and really making this team good. So, it, you know, I think Craig Council knows what he's getting into with the Cubs and and likes what he's getting into here. Yeah, um, this was, uh, yeah, I mean, very much a surprising move. I think it's very indicative of, uh, you know, what the Cubs expect to do this offseason, but maybe also what Council expects the Brewers to do this offseason. You know, I mean, the Brewers have already been pretty active. They traded Mark Canna to the Detroit Tigers, uh, I think it was, like, on November 4th, um, which, you know, maybe that says that they're, I don't want to say punting on next year, but, I mean, you know, it's probably the last of their championship window. It looks like they're absolutely not re-signing Corbin Burns after next year. Uh, Brandon Woodruff is a free agent after next year, and he already, you know, unfortunately uh, will be undergoing Tommy John surgery, so you won't have him for the last, for his contract year. Um, you know, and that's and that, that's it. That's the biggest strength team right there is a starting rotation um so you know they're gonna be uh you know without those two after 2024 and there are some you know big decisions to be made in the front office about how do we approach this season do we you know the rest of the division is kind of upcoming the cubs and reds look better you know the cardinals could come back at any moment the pirates should be better hopefully um so and you know to lose craig council uh, in the beginning of that definitely isn't a good sign for Milwaukee. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, with Milwaukee, you know, they're, they're an inter- interesting ball club. They've succeeded. Um, you know, they've had a lot of regular season success. Uh, they haven't, you know, gone beyond the national league division series or even, um, even the national league wildcard series, I believe since 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, you know, it, they always seem to have enough to get there, but not really compete in the playoffs. And they, they're, they've they never really gotten beyond that edge. And that's not really to the fault of Craig Council. I think it's part of the part of the reasoning of that is the organization never really fully commits on the team, whereas the Cubs, they they would commit. You know, part of it has to do with ownership and whatnot, with the Brewers having a, are a little bit more timid to commit to something like that whereas the cubs you know they they'll go out they'll spend nine figures on a guy the brewers haven't really done that outside of extending christian yelich on what was a pretty friend uh team friendly deal at the time uh so so yeah and i understand why council would want to go to the cubs in that respect because he's he's going to an ownership group that's a lot more willing to you know add the pieces to help him win a championship, which is ultimately what you want to do as a manager. Yeah. Since 2019, the Brewers are one and eight in the playoffs, uh, which is pretty brutal. Um, And maybe that says more about council. Maybe it says something about the organization, the players, whatever. Um, But did you, I don't know if you saw this, but Mark Adonacio, the, uh, you know, the owner of the Milwaukee Brewers had a quote uh, after council left saying like, you know, as I've reflected on this, I don't think we lost Craig. I think Craig like lost our community or something like that. It was something to those lines. Uh, Mark Adonacio in the last year threatened to relocate to Milwaukee if taxpayers don't fund a new stadium. So, 
Uh, it's very disingenuous to be talking about, you know, losing the community uh, or someone else who's in the community as someone who has threatened to leave the community intentionally as a, you know, as a bargaining chip for other cities to maybe take on a potential stadium deal. Yeah, absolutely. That's I did not know about. I did not know about that quote. Yeah, it was very it, cheap. Yeah. Owners, you know, owners have uh, can have some fun, interesting, cynical quotes out there sometimes. So very funny to to see that and yeah like i think yeah and going back going to council's playoff record since 2019 like we've you know collectively when we watch these games no one's ever like oh well why did council do this why did council do that i it's- was gonna say pull up uh and to be to his to be fair the brewers shouldn't have made the playoffs this year anyway but pull up like the lineup they put out for game two of the 2020 wildcard series against the Dodgers yeah. and and yeah. tell me that it's Craig Council's fault. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like going back to just dissecting some of the losses that have happened with the Brewers uh, in the postseason since 2019, you know, obviously the, the one against the Nationals. Um, I, I mean, they had their best pitcher out there, Josh Hader, and yeah. unfortunately, you know, kind of kind of broke down there at the end um, in 2020. Like, you know, it, they were 29 and 31 and they were facing the Dodgers who they had like um, Jed Jerko hitting third. Yeah, it was it was insane. Like, you can't really put that on Craig. Nottingham was starting for that team. And then 2021, like even that lineup was not very good. Uh, you know, they they had a rough offensive stretch uh, leading leading up to that series. And I mean, they scored four runs in four games i think uh yeah yeah i think that yeah i think they score or maybe it was like four runs in the first three games and then they lost like five to four in the last one i believe i believe they scored didn't they score one one run in the first three games um i think i'm pretty sure that was a thing homer and then they got oh he had a two-run homer and they got shut okay so two runs yeah because i know they're only they're only like scoring moments in that uh in that series in the first three games was the Teles home run game one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they lost two to one. They won two to one. They lost three, nothing lost three, nothing. Yeah. They scored six runs in the entire series. Yeah. They, they scored six runs in four games and that couldn't really be blamed on lineup construction from Craig council. It's just, they didn't have the talent to, you know, defeat the, the Braves pitching. And, you know, this past year, uh, the, team starting pitching did not perform like they had in the regular season. It was kind of a kind of disappointing there. And the team's pitching in general just wasn't performing like they were in the regular season. I don't think it was council putting out the wrong pieces necessarily. So yeah, I th- I think, um, you know, I don't think that postseason record is that indicative of what Craig council is like as a manager. I would agree. Yeah. Um. So it'll be, ex- it'll be definitely exciting to see what he does with the Cubs. Um, I think the Cubs have grown just their analytical outlook. It seems like, you know, with just learning more about Craig Breslow becoming a, a, the chief baseball officer of the Red Sox, we've learned a little bit more about the Cubs and their operations. And it seems like they got something interesting going on over there in Chicago. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see anything more on the Craig council uh, hiring. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, it was surprising. I feel bad for David Ross more than anything, honestly. I feel like we haven't even gotten to that ex- aspect of it because, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, man, that guy. I mean, hey, by the way, uh, we we hired like you didn't know we were hiring for, like a replacement for you, but we just hired a replacement for you. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know. I, obviously, there's probably not going to be much reporting for a while on how that was communicated, and I'm sure the stories might be different if they ever come out. But yeah, I mean, they just they just completely booted him. I kind of feel bad for everything that like he's meant to that franchise between you know being like the the respected veteran on the 2016 team and being universally beloved in the clubhouse and by the fans. Uh, transitioning into a manager's role where our first thought was like, are the Cubs looking too much through the rose-colored glasses of 2016, or are they, you know, do they truly believe in the operation that David Ross is going to run? And I don't think he was a bad manager. I think he can find a coaching job somewhere else at some point. But yeah, it's a brutal way to kick him out the door. Yeah, it it does suck. It it does suck for him, no doubt. You you have to feel bad for him, um, because yeah, this just was not. This was sort of unexpected, um, but yeah, it just happened that one of the best managerial candidates out there was out there, and they, and the Cubs went for them, went for him, and yeah, I think this is a little bit more. I think as you mentioned, it's a little bit in, indicative of the Cubs' potential in this off season. They're probably going to add a little bit more, you know, increase that payroll a little bit, um, because yeah, their their time is is kind of nearing. Um, we saw the potential of it uh this past year so yeah we'll 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 see how that goes um maybe a little bit of a transitional um or a a transition of power uh with the uh with the Ross to council uh change and and yeah probably David Ross will probably find another managerial job uh it probably won't be that hard for him to find one yeah the other uh managerial hire that happened in the last few days was um Stephen Vogt going to Cleveland um, I love this. I think this is awesome. Steven Vogt obviously is a very well-respected, uh, you know, former major leaguer. Um, I think it says something that a guy got hired within a year of being out of baseball. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know the last time that happened, like, outside of, like, player managers. Um. Yeah, no. It, like, yeah, you I, know, can't, you, you I can't think, think of any... You think, like every time, every time. time like a former player gets hired, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. Like he he's been out of the game a few years. Stephen Vogt retired in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I mean one full one year out of baseball, and he's he's back, uh, on a Cleveland team that underperformed last year, uh, on a team that you know has potential certainly, but definitely needs the right guy to lead them. And you know Terry Francona. I uh, God bless him, you know, great manager. Um, and, you know, I know that he had like some health issues as well. Um, so, you know, it, it was time for him to pass the torch and uh, I think he's doing it with the right guy here. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, the guy's still younger than, than 40 years old. Um, and, you know, it seems like just based off of what you see from him in the media, it seems like kind of like a player's guy. Yep. It seems like, he would be good in the clubhouse, kind of a positive person to have around just based on what we see, you know, the audience sees and, and yeah, like, you know, a, a culture that would, that would go with the, with the guardians. And by the way, yeah, the guardians are still one of the youngest teams in baseball. Uh, we talked about them, you know, in 2022 and how they were the youngest team in baseball, like literally um, with how many guys they had like 25 and under. So having a younger guy out there who, literally played in that year when they did go to the playoffs uh, in 2022, you know, I think that, I think that adds another layer to, you know, what the guardians could potentially do here. 
Yeah, now I'm. Mean, that was the next point I was gonna make. Is that yeah? I mean, there's a lot of youth in that clubhouse. Having a more youthful manager that kind of can relate to, you know, playing today that'll probably help. Um, I also think the Guardians probably need a bit of a you know a, a overhaul with their offensive philosophy. I mean, they hit I think the least not amount of homers in the American League last year. Uh, they did strike out the least, which was good. But you know, naturally, when you you know there is kind of a trade off of of contact and power and the guardians kind of went all contact um and that's what they were in 2022 as well but uh you know you're kind of relying on a lot of things to go your way uh, and that is what happened in 2022 and they weren't able to have the same fortunes this year but you know i think steven vote is a guy that maybe will be bringing in some sort of new philosophy um you know i mean he's a guy that played in he's a guy that played in multiple organizations towards the end of his career like he was with oakland he was with uh atlanta i believe at, towards the end of his career there like he's been you know in a lot of clubhouses in this kind of new age analytical era so he's a guy that obviously knows like you know what people look at today and, and how he can put his team in the best possible spot yeah yeah like i think i think there is a, a huge benefit to having a guy that's been in the clubhouse and even just a player in a modern game. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen, we've seen how managerial tenures can go when the guy's kind of out of the loop and has been out of the game for a while and just comes back. Like, you know, specifically Tony LaRusso we're talking about here. Um, you know, he was out of the game for nine years, came back and had a pretty unsuccessful managerial tenure where, yeah, I think, I think having a guy that played in the modern game, uh, along with you know was just in the clubhouse in the modern game i i think that there's teams more team more and more teams are doing it throughout time and and it makes a lot of sense why yeah yeah i mean um, it's i i like steven vote i'm very happy for him i'm excited to see uh you know what he does to that operation there in cleveland right right um and the last one that we're not going to dive too deep into it. There's not really much to go over. There is uh, the Mets hired their new manager after, you know, Buck, Buck Showalter and, and the Mets mutually agreed to part ways. Uh, the Mets went out and got Carlos Mendoza, who is the, who was the Yankees bench coach uh, you, you mentioned before the show. Yeah. I, I don't really know too much about, <laughs> I don't really know too much about uh, the situation. It just seems like, you know, they probably went through an interview process. He seemed like the most qualified guy, and here they are. Yeah, Carlos Mendoza is 49 years old. Uh, he just turned 49, actually. His birthday was on November 4th. Um, he's a guy that, uh, you know, played very briefly in Major League Baseball, uh, which, uh, and, you know, obviously has coached a bunch. Um, so, you know, the Mets, the Mets managerial hires are always either weird because, I mean, we talked about this pre-show, like, they've gone through a rotating carousel of managers in the post-Terry Collins era, where it was Mickey Calloway for a few years, and then, you know, it was Carlos Beltran for a few days, and obviously the scandal happened, and uh, he stepped down from his role, uh, which turned into Luis Rojas, uh, which then turned into Buck Showalter, and now is turning into Carlos Mendoza. So, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's very hard to evaluate a Mets manager managerial hire right now, because... Uh, I'm sure we've had a different like a variety of takes in in all of the different hires that they've done post Collins, and they've all ended the same way. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Mendoza can bring to a clubhouse that I think definitely needs a change of culture. I mean, there were so many 
stories that came out of that clubhouse last year with, with whether it was like you know max serger saying that like you know they they did analytics wrong or justin verlander saying whatever and uh tommy fam saying it was like one of the most like depressing clubhouses he had ever played in or whatever he said uh something different needs to be going on there in the clubhouse and uh you know i'm sure carlos mendoza uh you know coming from another team that just had a down year, you know, probably, you know, hungry in his own way to to pick things up and be better. Um, Yeah, it does seem like there is definitely a carousel with the Mets. Um, But I will say with the Mets, I think part of that has to do with like their sort of inconsistent model that they've had over the past few years. You know, they've been kind of a roller coaster ride since even like the early 2010s. They've been up, they've been down. They got back up in 2022 and then right back down in 2023, uh, despite high expectations based on, you know, who they signed, their payroll, um, and just the the general talent that they had. So I think with this managerial hire, you know, it, it wasn't Craig Council. However, the Mets got half of that big duo in Milwaukee with David Stearns as the general manager. And I think what I think the goal with hiring David Stearns was building a more sustainable model. And we talked about it when he did get hired by the Mets is building that consistent model where the Mets can maybe, you know, have a good farm system while having a high payroll and a very talented uh, MLB roster. And that can be a model for success because, yeah, the uh, David Stearns built that with the Brewers with a hundred million dollars less to spend pretty much. Uh, the the Mets are, you know, with we talked about the Brewers' lack of playoff success, and part of that had to do with lack of talent. The Mets are going to have that extra talent that the Brewers didn't have. So, how that relates to Carlos, the Carlos Mendoza hiring is, if the Mets general manager now, David Stearns, has that sustainable model, there's potential to make this a longer managerial tenure where you know it's not. Uh, you know, a boom and bust cycle with the Mets where they're hiring a manager every every three years. So if the if the if David Stearns can build this sustainable success for the Mets, uh, Mendoza might have a longer um, tenure than than we expect here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there is obviously hope with a new, you know, baseball operations department uh, leader and a guy that's been, you know, yeah, like you said, proven to have built a winner. Uh, even without the funds and Steve Cohen obviously has the funds. So um, it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, I, like I said, I, re- I don't really want to put too many big judgments on this one because Mets managerial hires are so unpredictable. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's a team that obviously needs, uh, you know, a big comeback next year uh, to justify how, how much they've spent on that team financially. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, and and managerial hirings and firings can be weird sometimes because sometimes sometimes the team isn't succeeding and it's not even because of the manager, but like there's sort of just a there's sort of just an expectation that you fire the manager and 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 whatnot. So you know a lot of that has to do with things that you know we as the fans can't really uh, understand or ask or um, you know get to get to know necessarily. Um, anything more on the on the hiring before we get into awards now let's talk about awards all right well um now uh do we want to do do we want to do hits and misses first or do we want to do awards first um so i i want to my goal here is to make this an all-out 
an all out award show with hits and misses included as, as part of that, because, you know, they're all winners here. Our biggest flop is technically winning something. Um, so, so, uh, so with, we're, we're making the, we, we only had a bit of news to get into. So that's why we're titling the episodes, the above replacement radio award show. Uh, this is the producer note here. We're going to add some award show music and uh, I'm going to have a little, a little bit of an intro here. Did I like get on a suit and tie or something? I was, I was thinking about it, but I, I didn't, I didn't warn anybody ahead of time. So, you know, <laughs> we're, we're just going to have it and it's not worth whatever extra two views that we'd get on, on it through the thumbnail. Um, so here we go. Producer note. Let's, let's get this music going. Okay. It's time for the above replacement radio awards. Where do we stand on the BBWAA awards? Who will take Chris's illustrious short end award and who will have the humbling honor of winning at Daniel's mercy award? All that and more in the above replacement radio awards. All right, thank you, producer, for uh, adding. Wow! Adding wow! What an intro! Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, so yeah, first first and foremost, we will get into the hits and misses, and we'll start with the hits. We end with the misses because the misses are always funnier. Uh, technically, we call them flops. Actually, the the hits and flops, the flops are always funnier. Um, and by the way, the hits and flops uh, are representative of the players to watch that we had preseason for for those unaware uh for all 30 teams we pick a player to watch usually under the radar usually a guy that's not a top five player on the team um and we break down why we expect you know success from them or even improvement from them uh this season and you know sometimes that's a bit of a risk which is why we have a bunch of flops but when they hit it is uh it is truly something special so yeah we'll go um However many hits we had, we'll just go with. I I I mentioned five. I put five. I put five of each. Yeah, I put five. I with put a, five with hits. a bunch of honorable mis- mentions for the misses. Yes, yes. So, um, I I put um I put eight flops. Some were stronger than others. Um, but this is I I still had a better campaign here than my 2021 campaign, which was god awful. I had eight flops there as well, but I I had four pretty weak hits. But um. Yeah. Here Best we go. hit was a guy that never played after what, like May, June. Uh, yeah, Byron Bucks, and he played about sixty games, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what is your number five hit? My number five hit, uh, is a guy that I kind of picked a little bit of a risky pick, a guy that had never played in the majors before this year. Uh, but I went with Brandon Fod, who you know on the surface did not have great numbers, but I'm looking at what he did for me recently. Uh, after getting sent down to the minors, he came back and had a 4.22 ERA and a 4.35 FIP in 70 innings pitched throughout his last 13 starts, which, yes, isn't fantastic, but in the playoffs, he was a lot better. He had a 3.27 ERA in 22 innings pitched with a strikeout-to-walk ratio over 5. It was 26 strikeouts to 5 walks. Um, I know that he didn't have a very good regular season of 5.72 ERA in his rookie campaign. But, you know, like adjusting to major league hitting for the first time is tough. And he showed some pretty clear improvements down the stretch and looked very good in the postseason. He pitched uh, very well, especially in that NLCS against the Phillies. Um, and for that, he's my number five hit. Yeah, that uh, that is a yeah, he he definitely established himself and got got good in the spotlight when the spotlight shone on him. All right. And now for my number five hit. Um, 
this one this was one of more my more higher profile picks so i can't take too much credit for his success here and he he improved a little bit but not too dramatically um, i'm talking about ha song kim who uh led the padres uh led padres position players in baseball reference war this year um and you know it, it's baseball reference war so it values defense a lot lot more um but even still that's really impressive in a, on a team with Xander Bogarts, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Juan Soto. Ha Song Kim took the uh, reign supreme in baseball when baseball reference wins above replacement. Uh, he also had 0.8 more baseball reference war than last year, 0.7 more F war than last year, and he also stole 26 more bases, uh, which is pretty unbelievable. He really took advantage of the new rules. Um, and yeah, he was, you know, I, I described him as, you know, a pretty underrated guy. Like you wouldn't expect him to you know, have such a high ranking within the Padres, but, uh, you know, here he was this year leading all Padres position players in B-War. Um, so yeah, that's my number five hit. What do you got for number four? So for my number four hit, I'm going with another guy with the same first name, actually. I'm going with Brandon Drury of the Angels. Um, he had the highest OPS plus of any non-Trout Otani Angel throughout this year. I believe it was uh, 118 or something like that. Um, what was his his, it was 114, 114 OPS plus. Um, you know, it was a bit of a down year from last year where he had a 123 OPS plus, but he was still uh, a strong player in that Angels lineup. Uh, he had an 803 OPS. Uh, and a lot of what I talked about preseason with him was his batted ball profile. And he kind of did everything to improve that and also keep it the same. He improved his barrel rate from 10.4% last year to 11% this year. Uh, he actually increased his... Uh, fly ball or his line drive rate very very slightly uh it went from 24 to 24.6 but uh you know he kept his batted ball profile the same uh he barreled the ball up a little bit more um he had you know overall very good batted ball metrics between like exit velocity and and hard hit rate um and also uh did very well in the field his fielding run value this year went from 54th percentile in 2022 to 82nd percentile this year and he played you know kind of a, a variety of positions for the angels uh with you know some injuries that they had uh you know and the angels are also were a team that there was a lot of potential for flops so i'm very happy with how my brandon jury pick worked out yeah there there is something um there is something like really really special about get about picking a correct hit on mm -hmm. a team that severely underperformed and there's yeah, something also yeah Another thing, he slugged 497 this year. Like that's you know a borderline 500 slugging percentage for a full qualifying season is pretty impressive. Yeah, that's that's definitely very impressive. And yeah, he he performed like way above expectations in 2022, and he kind of kept that up. It, it seemed like he was due to regress, but he mm -hmm. didn't really regress. So um, only a slight bit. Only a slight bit. Um, and to add to the point of getting a hit on a team that severely underperforms. It's extremely embarrassing to get a flop on a team yep. that really overperformed. And oh, there's there's plenty of those in mine. Yeah, in we my have, flops. We'll have, we'll have some examples of that. Um, for my number four hit, uh, I am talking about uh, Matt Veerling. Um, I was pretty strong about him. Uh, he didn't, you know, play like an all star this year, but improvement is improvement, and he did he did improve significantly offensively. Uh, Matt Veerling. Uh, you know, by the way, a center fielder for the Tigers. He was traded from the Phillies to the Tigers in the Gregory Soto trade. 
and his OPS improved 69 points. Nice in 173 more plate appearances this year. So he got more playing time and he uh, just overall improved better offensively. Uh, he also had 2.1 more baseball reference wins above replacement than last year. Uh, you know, he was he was more valuable by two wins uh, than he was in 2022. Um, and I highlighted him last year because I highlighted his bad luck last year. He was, he had some of the worst luck um, on batted balls last year and he was due to balance out and it balanced out this year. He had pretty similar expected numbers, um, but his actual numbers went up, which is something that I expected to happen just based on the bad luck he had last year. So Matt Veerling is my number four. What is your number three? Yeah, good trade by the Tigers there uh, in the Gregory Soto trade, getting Matt Veerling as well as Nick Mason. My number three is another uh, guy that is a bit of a more high-profile name, but he was a hit on a team that had a lot of misses, especially on offense. Talking about Glaber Torres uh, on the New York Yankees. Uh, Glaber Torres was probably the only good pick there could have been in the Yankees offense. He was the only, uh, you know, regular everyday player that had an OPS plus over a hundred outside of Aaron judge, but obviously I'm not going to take Aaron judge in, in this segment. Um, he had a 118 OPS plus last year. He had an 800 OPS for the first time since 2019, which was, uh, you know, a big year for him. It was kind of his breakout year, but he never really got back to the same place. And he did that exactly this year. Uh, he also decreased his strikeout rate this year. It was 22% in 2022 and he got down to 14 percent this year he upped his walk rate from 6.8 percent in 2022 to 10 percent in uh in 2023 um so he had a, a very strong season uh overall and i mean he was the uh, first of all he also led the yankees in plate appearances so he was there uh, every day 672 plate appearances over 158 games played uh you know he was probably the most dependable guy in that lineup the entire year. And yeah, the only, the only Yankees position players that had a 100 OPS plus this year were judge labor Torres at 118, And then uh, Jason Dominguez and Greg Allen who combined for about 60 plate appearances. Right. So, uh, you know, on a team where I could have easily picked a flop, I'm very happy with how labor Torres turned out. And I'm, I'm really interested to see if he can build off this and, uh, you know, continue to build up the uh, profile that he had for himself in 2019. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we people were very high on him. You know, he came up as a top five prospect. Seemed like he was living out that potential early on and then faded. And and now we, it seems like he's, you know, getting back on track here. Um, my number three hit is uh, Justin Steele. Um, he, Great pick. he improved and he was in the Cy Young conversation for most of the second half, unfortunately, his performance dropped off in his last like four starts. And, you know, he's not going to be, you know, he's not a finalist and definitely not going to be Cy Young, obviously. Um, so uh, <clears throat> with Justin Steele, uh, he threw a lot more innings just in general. So that obviously, you know, boosts his profile a little bit more gets, you know, he gets a little bit more respect for that. Didn't, didn't really have a long injury stint this year, as opposed to last year where um, he did have that injury. So he threw 54 more innings um, and his ERA plus also improved by 14 points. He went from 132 to 146 and Justin Steele was sixth among uh, major league baseball qualifiers in ERA. He was fifth and fifth, and he will probably likely finish top five in the Cy Young. I would have to imagine. I know he's, he isn't a finalist, but I, I would argue he should have been a finalist, but nonetheless, 
still a, uh, you know, still a great season. And, you know, I declared him in, you know, I declared him, you agreed with this also, uh, when I picked him was he was going to be the best pitcher in this, uh, Cubs staff, despite, you know, Stroman and Tyon having their big deals and, uh, some other guys coming up. Uh, I thought he would have the best year and, and that was, that was correct. So Justin Steele is my number three. What is your number two? If Justin Steele is your three, then your hits are way better than mine. Um, mine is, a, my number two is also maybe a little high profile. Um, but you know, I had a very specific thought on him and it went perfect. Um, William Contreras from the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, one of my, you know, one of the main things I talked about, about him preseason was how he was not even the best catcher that was involved in the trade that sent him over to Milwaukee. And a lot of people, I think kind of just forgot about, uh, the fact that the Brewers really gave up nothing to get him. They gave up Esturi Ruiz, who did steal a lot of bases this year, but William Contreras, uh, was probably the best hitter in that Brewers lineup. He had the highest OPS plus at 126 uh, of any hitter on the Brewers. Um, he ended up hitting eight. He had an 828 OPS overall, 291 batting average, and also dramatically improved defensively as a catcher, um, specifically with blocking and framing. Uh, this year, he had 93rd percentile framing among all catchers and, and 85th percentile blocking. Those were only those were in the 20s in terms of percentile last year. So the Brewers uh, dramatically improved him as a fielder, um, and you know he kept he kept it going offensively um, overall. And he was he also upped his exit velocity by a mile an hour. His average exit velocity this year was 91.3 miles an hour, um, which is pretty awesome. He could you know ideally he could hit the ball in the air a little bit more. Uh, you know he he did only have a 20 percent fly ball rate this year, but you know, my, my main narrative about him was he's going to be the best bat on the Brewers this year, and he was. So very yeah. happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, I think he led all catchers in F4, um, William Contreras did. So mm -hmm. he was – yeah, he had a pretty unbelievable year, and that is that is definitely a very good hit. Um, yeah, uh, my number two my, – my number one and number two had technically worse seasons than my number three – but they also had much lower expectations, expectations. And were coming up. Yeah, that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah. So, you know, just I'm with, yeah, with my number one and two, they just had like the most improvement and built, built a much better profile over the last, um, over the last year as opposed to 2022. So my number two is Jake Berger. Um, just basically he went from a role yeah. player who was probably a platoon bat against lefties to, someone who's an everyday starter and someone you can rely upon and someone you're excited to have up for your team, uh, whether it be for the White Sox or the Marlins. Um, and he was my White Sox player to watch, obviously, as he was on the White Sox uh, before the season started. His slugging improved by 60 points, and he also had 357 more plate appearances, 26 more home runs uh, this year. He, he hit 34 home runs this year, which probably you would not expect have expected him to hit 30 home runs in, in 2023. Uh, also his baseball reference wins above replacement went from negative 0.1 to 2.5. His F war went from 0.3 to 2.5. And uh, Jake Berger was also top 15 in the top 15 in all of major league baseball and home runs. And he was 12th in slugging. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really expect him to make that big of, of an improvement and, you know, be that reliable of a hitter. 
but uh but yeah he ended up he ended up doing that um so yeah what is yeah. your what is your best hit for best uh hit. i think jake Berger was probably the best possible pick you could have made on the white Sox this year yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Even, like they, they traded him mid-season but like going you know going through here like the only guys that had a higher ops plus than him as members of the white Sox, it was just louis robert jr but He's a little too high profile for this list. And the other only other guys that were even above average were Andrew Vaughn at a one and Eloy Hemet at one oh four. And then in the pitching it was you know, was, there wasn't really anything too exciting. But my number one hit um was Nolan Jones of the Colorado Rockies. He had an excellent year overall, a nine thirty one OPS and also very even home road splits, which is probably the most important part about all of it. Uh, because you see a guy doing well in the Rockies and you think, okay, cores. I think he had a, a higher OPS on the road very slightly, uh, actually. And overall, a 135 weighted runs created plus put him uh, 20th among all hitters with at least 400 plate appearances. Um, you know, it sucks that he couldn't get to 500 or even 600 plate appearances because of that one injury. Oh, wait, never mind. They put him in the minors for no reason. That's why he only had 400 plate appearances this year uh, because they had to have Mike Moustakis on that team. Um, Nolan Jones had a really solid batted ball profile this year. Um, you know, the most important thing was his fly balls. Uh, he hit them very hard. Uh, his fly balls had an average hit distance of 344 feet. Uh, and the only hitters with a longer average hit distance on fly balls this year was Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. And I understand that Coors was a large part of that. Like, if you filter it by home and away, like, you know, he did have a much longer uh, average fly ball distance at home than on the road but still uh only being behind judge and otani in in average hit distance on fly balls is pretty awesome uh he had overall he had 93rd overall percentile batting run value uh he had a barrel rate of 15.7 percent this year which was 94th percentile uh he walked a lot which is excellent and also his arm in the outfield is arguably the best in baseball uh, his arm his average uh, miles per hour in throwing is 98.9 miles an hour. That is 100th percentile. His arm value at 8 is 100th percentile. Um, Nolan Jones actually looks like he can be a future piece of the Colorado Rockies. He was 20, he was age 25 season this year. Uh, he was playing in his first full season, so they have him, I think, for another five years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting for the Rockies, a team that, you know, did have a very rough season, the worst in franchise history. Uh, to look at Nolan Jones and say, all right, this is a piece we have for the future. Uh, because, you know, through this rebuilding period, they haven't really been able to see that with a lot of young people, a lot of people that haven't been in the organization very long. Uh, but Nolan Jones absolutely has been that guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nolan Jones was by far the best Rockies player this year. Um, maybe, team... maybe the best Nolan they've ever had. <laughs> yeah, exactly um makes them forget about the other nolan that they traded definitely not but definitely one idea um yeah it's like just looking at on a team full of flops there were this this was definitely a hit uh as yeah he was the only he was one of two above average hitters on this team uh charlie blackman was the other and nolan jones had him in ops plus by 31 points and any pitcher any pitcher who threw 80 innings or more, which there were six pitchers to do that on the Rockies, had an ERA over four, or and anyone above uh, 100 innings had an ERA over five. So yeah, not too many, uh, not too many hits on this Rockies team. Uh, my number one hit 
Um, he he was on a team that performed a little bit better than usual, but that's a lot because of his contributions. And I'm talking about Max Kepler, who uh, after kind of a career downturn where it seemed like he just had one successful season and I mean, literally was taken in the uh, uh, players who had that one season draft. Um, he now has two seasons. So that's, you know, good for good for Max Kepler. Because of those two there. seasons. Yeah, he has two seasons now because Max Kepler from 2022 to 2023, uh, his slugging improved by 136 points. His OPS improved by 150 points. Uh, also, one thing, uh, there's there's a little bit of an element to success in the in the hits here when you mention a specific like problem and it and you say you know if if he if this recorrects he's going to have more success and his problem was bad luck on pulled batted balls largely because of the shift and he went from hitting 267 on pulled batted balls to 403 and he went from slugging 496 on pulled batted balls to 896 so he slugged 400 more points when he pulled the ball from 2022 to 2023 so uh yeah max kepler uh he's my number one hit and uh number one hit you can check out a short of uh chris's analysis on him on the aar youtube channel yeah there is a little bit of that like when 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 and when time is invested to make like a video about it yeah it's like you can see it right here i called it i called it and i have i have like 13 clips of him hitting line drives right to the second baseman who's playing in, in short right field um all right now now for the for the moment we've all been waiting for yes now we get into so congratulations to uh to max kepler and nolan jones um being our being our number one hits but uh the more prestigious honors lie within our flops um i think we can we can start with like uh, you go ahead and start first if you have eight yeah so and how many honorable honorable mentions do you have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So we could we could just drop those at the end. That's <laughs> seventeen out of thirty. Thirty-one um, actually, because there was a team where I had two. So I'll I'll say my first two. Um All right. then maybe you'll say one, I'll do two, yeah. and then we'll be kind of even in that respect. Um my number eight flop is we shared this flop here. Oh, um, nice. Maybe he's in your list. Maybe he's in your honorable. I think mention. I know who you're talking about. But uh, he he didn't he didn't have crazy high expectations coming in, so that's why he's a little bit lower on the list. But I'm talking about Kyle Stowers yep. of the Baltimore Orioles. Um, you know the team improved by 18 wins this year, but it was not because of Kyle Stowers, who in his 33 plate appearances that he was given with the Orioles this year, he hit 067 with a 218 OPS and negative 35 OPS plus. Um, I was really high on just his quality of contact. He hit a lot of batted balls in the sweet spot zone. Um, He had a high exit velocity. His expected batting average on contact was crazy, but um, unfortunately it was not able to translate to success this year. Um, My number seven flop was uh, Jake McCarthy. Again, a team that improved and eventually went to the World Series, but that was not because of Jake McCarthy, who I had high hopes for uh, coming out of the outfield. You know, good defensive player, good base runner, um, and was able to get on base at a good rate too. 
His OPS dropped by 125 points. His OPS plus dropped 40 points. His average dropped 40 points and his slugging dropped 101 points. Uh, so he, you know, dramatically, dramatic, dramatically regressed, um, even as a guy who's in his uh, mid to early 20s. Um, so, yeah, unfortunate there. What is your number five flop? Yeah, so I also, uh, I didn't, so Kyle Stowers was in my honorable mentions. I didn't put him on my list. Uh, and before I get into this, I would just say a lot of my logic is I believe Kyle Stowers uh, suffered some injuries this year, uh, as well as, you know, the not getting a lot of playing time being in the minors. So I tried to prioritize guys that played for at least most of the year, uh, whether it be in the minors or the majors, and stayed away from guys that got hurt because I did have a lot of those. Uh, but my number five, is uh, Josh H. Smith. And you might be wondering, wait, who is Josh H. Smith? Is that a guy that plays for, like, some random team that had a lot of flops? No, he played for the World Series champion, Texas Rangers, that had a million breakouts this year. And Josh H. Smith, unfortunately, was not one of them. Uh, he had a 632 OPS this year. And uh, a lot of what I talked about with him preseason was he had a lot of fly balls that were hit hard that just didn't find their way out. I believe he hit like below a hundred on fly balls and slugged like also like close to below a hundred to get some of the worst uh, stats on, on fly balls last year, despite having uh, a good exit velocity on his fly balls. Uh, and unfortunately he just had a lot of balls to the warning track that I figured would translate into some home runs this year. It didn't. Uh, there was still a near 200 point difference between his slugging and X slug on fly balls this year. A lot of that is because 40% of his fly balls went to center field, uh, which is increased from last year. And it's harder to hit home runs to center field than it is to left and right. Um, he had a 648 difference between slugging and next slugging on barrels, which was the, the ninth unluckiest among the 329 hitters with at least 10 barrels. So a lot of this, unfortunately, is just that, you know, his bad luck kind of continued, uh, which is why I put him at number five instead of further down the list with how many potential hits there could have been on the Texas Rangers. Uh, so Josh H. Smith for me is number five. Yeah. Yeah. That is, um, yeah. It's always unfortunate when you have a team full of breakouts, but you, but you know, you don't pick the, you don't pick the right one. Um, my number six flop, this one I have lower on the list because he, he wasn't my original player to watch. I had an original player to watch and then like, uh, like, two days before the episode was being recorded, the guy had an injury for four months that was going to take him out for four months. So I couldn't really put him as a player to watch. So this was my secondary option. And, and my secondary option was Daniel Bard of the Colorado Rockies. Um, his ERA more than doubled uh, from last year. His ERA plus dropped 149 points and his FIP also more than doubled. Um, you know, I was very complimentary of, of what he was able to do in his age, I believe it was age 37 or 38 season. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, regressed and, uh, you know, hope, hopefully he can get back to what he was in 2022, but had a rough, had a rough season last year. Um, and then correct my number, if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're going to pick Brendan Rogers, right? I was going to pick, uh, Sean Bouchard. Sean Bouchard. That's what it was. Because yeah. he had sucks. Is he, he actually did well this year in like seven plate appearances. Yeah, and he did well last Talks. year. Yeah, last year he had a 9.54 OPS in however many games he yeah, played. Yeah, he had 10.56 OPS in 21 games. Yeah, this year and then last year was he has the... a he has a 
He has a 991 career OPS in 48 games and 140 plate appearances. So, so maybe Damn that's it. my maybe that's my 2024 Rockies player to watch. But... Yeah, you were better off going with him. I was bet yeah, like, much just, like despite the injury, it's like yeah, you know what? He'll come back in September. Yeah, watch out for this guy when the Rockies, <laughs> the Rockies are, are when the Rockies twenty seven games out of the division. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, check, check out Sean Bouchard when when they trail the Dodgers by thirty three games, uh, in in the division. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would have been better off. And my number five pick. Um, unfortunate here, and any CBL alum, uh, Derek Hall, uh, yep. who I was optimistic about because of what he was able to do when he hit the ball. Um, but his quality of contact went down tremendously, along with the fact that he strikes out over thirty percent of the time. Uh, Derek Hall hit one sixty seven with a four thirty seven OPS and twenty OPS plus in fifty six plate appearances. Um, his OPS plus dropped. 102 points from last year to this year that means you know he was 102 percent worse as a as a hitter and along with that his barrel rate i've talked about his barrel rate and how great that was it went from 17 percent last year to three percent this year um and i i mentioned you know his his numbers on contact his expected woba on contact also dropped 112 points from last year to this year so quality of contact went down and therefore his performance also went down tremendously and yeah, was not really involved in the Philly season at all. And, you know, not, not in the playoff roster, obviously. And yeah, just not, not really a significant part of the Phillies. Uh, what is your number four pick? I'm doing a span finder on Sean Bouchard for like first 48 <laughs> games of a career. Cause it's... I really, I need, I need to see something. Um... Something. Yeah. We'll, we'll... We will, my uh, my number four pick. I thought about just leaving this one off because it's so unfair. But I talk. But my number four miss uh, was Shea Langoliers. Uh, picking mm-hmm. it, picking an ace player was the trap. Like we we should have just bypassed the entire team. Yeah. Like, don't, <laughs> do not watch anyone on this team, please. Um, I mean, like I there were a couple potential hits, like Ryan Noda, Zach Diloff, Brent Rooker, uh, in the offense particularly. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. This team just, you know, it was unfortunate, but uh, Shea Langoliers in particular, um, he had a 605 OPS at the Oakland Coliseum this year. Um, he actually had pretty lopsided home road splits, was like an average hitter on the road, uh, and uh, very poor at home. And I kind of get it, um, unfortunately, but uh, his sweet spot percent dropped 12 points this year. It went from 42.9% in a very small sample to uh, 30.8%. Uh, his expected batting average was seventh percentile. Uh, his expected WOBA, sweet spot rate, chase rate, uh, whiff rate, strikeout rate, and walk rate were all around the bottom 30 percentile as well. Um, and he all, but and um, he also, you know, he also, sorry, he had a 14% home run to fly ball ratio at home and a 28.3% home run to fly ball ratio on the road. Um, and uh, I feel like there's still a lot of potential for him when he plays outside of Oakland. Um, but it also doesn't help that the guy that he was, you know, the centerpiece of a trade for hit 54 home runs this year. So that's a lot of why I put him uh, number four, because yeah. I do this. I do still think there was a lot of potential with Shea Langoliers. Um, but this year was not it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, my number four flop um, comes from Queens. Uh, I was talking about before this season, Brett Beatty, uh, you know, corner infielder for the Mets. Uh, I was, you know, he had great minor league numbers last year. I think led all of the, I think led like all of the Eastern league or, or led the minors in led the minors in some respect in weighted runs created plus uh, last year and had some good, like good underlying numbers when he was at the MLB level in 2022, but his full rookie season was, uh, was not very good. Brett Beatty hit 212 with a 598 OPS and a 65 OPS plus in 389 plate appearances. I was optimistic about Brett Beatty, but he was below replacement this year. Um, so yeah, I mean, unfortunate there and you know hopefully he'll be able to turn it around i think he's you know he's still early 20s guy so hopefully there's there's a turnaround there but this year he is my number four flop what is your number three my number three flop uh was a pitcher from the north side of chicago hayden westneski uh, he was one of the first guys that i put as a player to watch for 2023 he pitched 33 innings in 2022 uh, looked really good, had a 193 ERA plus, uh, had some very good uh, batted ball metrics, and it just n- did not continue this year at all, unfortunately. Uh, most no- He's most known for his 12.3% barrel rate against this year, which was first percentile, the very low. His 4.63 ERA this year in 89 innings pitch was actually like pretty good compared to all his peripherals. He had a 5.27 expected ERA uh, and a 5.48 FIP. So, uh, you know, he, he his home runs per nine went from 0.8 to two. Uh, it more than doubled. His walk rate went from one point. His walks per nine went from 1.9 percent or 1.9 to 3.2. Uh, he he struck out a little bit less batters. Um, ultimately, he just you know did not perform the same way. And uh, his interestingly enough, his sweeper, which is his primary pitch, was pretty good. But all three of his fastballs, his four seamer, his cutter, and his sinker which had 175 uh, batted balls against combined, combined for a 307 average against and a 608 slugging against. Uh, so everyone beat up on his fastballs this year. And his line drive rate overall also went from 13.5% to 26.2%. Um, you know, I really was hoping that Wes Nesky was going to develop further in the Cubs system. He was a guy that they got in the Scott Efros trade, but uh, it, that did not happen at all. So he's my number three miss. And yeah, obviously now we are on to the to the podium of the flops and uh my number three flop comes from the houston astros um it's kind of hard i will say i'll preface this maybe maybe a little maybe a little bit of a defense mechanism here but when you have such a talented team like the astros it's hot it's hard to find under the radar guys but uh i i could have i could have chosen a lot better than david hensley who you know was a utility player for the astros and you know didn't did, did not really provide anything for them this year he hit 119 with a 379 ops and an 8 ops plus this season in 94 plate appearances and also his strikeout rate went up uh 19.6 percentage points he struck out 37% of the time this year uh i was high on him last year because he had an ops over 1000 and then this year his OPS was uh, below 400, so quite the uh, quite the turnaround there, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, was not was not a reason for the Astros' success. You know, obviously not on the playoff roster or anything. So 
David Hensley is my number three flop. Uh, what do you got for number two? My number two, you know, the good thing for Hayden Wisniewski that he can, you know, be happy about is that he was not my worst Chicago pitcher pick this year uh, mm-hmm. because Michael Kopech uh, really disappointed me this year. You know, a lot of what I was thinking was like, well, he just kind of locates bad. It can't be that hard to fix, right? And if, if I didn't mean it that literally. Like, I understand it is difficult to fix, but it wasn't fixed. Uh, he had a 646 fifth this year uh, and led the American League in walks with 91. Um 52% of his 1,400 four-seamers that he threw this year were outside the zone. That is the 10th highest rate, the 10th highest rate among the 397 seasons in the StatCast era with at least 1,000 four-seamers thrown. Uh, so Michael Kopech, uh, you know, just couldn't find the zone with his four-seamer this year, and it was still his number one pitch by quite a lot. Uh, additionally, 18.9% of his batted balls were hard-hit fly balls. Uh, and naturally, you know, when you throw a four-seamer that often, you know, you're not going to get a lot of ground balls because the entire point of a four-seamer is that it rises and that, you know, hitters are meant to get below it. So naturally, you're going to give up a lot of fly balls. Unfortunately, he was giving up a hard-hit fly balls. You know, guys were hitting the barrel quite a bit on it. Um, because of this, he gave up a lot of home runs. He walked a lot of guys, obviously. His strikeouts were fine, but, you know, not not where you wanted them to be. They were just barely over, uh, you know, one per inning. Um, so, I mean, you know, you combine the walks with the a lot of hard contact, and that's kind of what you got. Michael Kopech, uh, a 543 ERA, a 581 expected ERA. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. Um, my number two flop that I put here, um, and I'm realizing I think I forgot, uh, I think I forgot a guy um, to put okay. because I I literally just remembered somebody. I'll give him I'll give him a shout out at the end. Um, but uh and he's probably he's probably he's probably above some of these guys I mentioned, but I'll I'll talk about him later. But my number two flop, um, you know, we we both missed on the World Series champion uh Texas Rangers. And my miss I'm a little bit more disappointed with because he was kind of a he was a little bit of a a little bit of a layup because he like just on the surface stats were were extremely good last year. And I'm talking about Brock Burke, um, who his ERA was below two last year in 82 innings pitched. And then this year, his ERA more than doubled. His ERA plus dropped 100 points. He was 100% worse at preventing runs this year. And he threw 22 and two-thirds less innings than he did last year. And, uh, you know, he did make the playoff roster, but he only threw two-thirds of a playoff inning combined because he had two playoff appearances and yep. combined for two-thirds of an inning. So, yeah, he was uh, after really like looking like he was going to be the staple of the uh, of the Texas Rangers bullpen. He was not a part of their playoff run really at all in any positive way. Uh, and that's because, you know, he he wasn't put in those roles because he did not see and succeed in the regular season either uh, as he had a four through seven ERA. So, yeah, Brock Burke is my number two flop. What is what is the worst flop of the year for Daniel Curran? Yeah, the worst pick that I made this year uh, was Luis Ortiz from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, I was really banking on him making some sort of forward progress in that rotation this year, and it didn't even really come close to happening. So I think the biggest concern that I'll just start off with is that uh, he threw 16 innings, I believe, last year, and that was kind of what I was going off of because he looked really good in those in those innings. But uh, his fourth, the 
his pitch velocity on both his four seamer and his sinker went down by about two to three miles an hour this year. Uh, his sinker went from being 98.4 miles per hour in 2022 to 95.8 in 2023. And his four seamer went from 98.4 to 96.2. So, uh, he, you know, he, he wasn't throwing the ball as hard, which is definitely concerning for a guy that was in his age 24 season. Um, but on top of all that, uh, you know, most notably, uh, he had an average exit velocity against of 92.4, uh, which was first percentile this year. Uh, his hard hit rate was also first percentile at 49.1%. And by the way, this is on 291 batted balls. So that is a, essentially a full season. Uh, he threw a total of, of uh, 86.2 innings this year, but it's 400 uh, proportional to the, to the mean. Um, but he also had a 300 expected batting average against, a 528 expected slugging against, a 391 expected Woba against, a and he's and a 690 uh, expected ERA. His ERA was nicely 478, uh, but his expected ERA was 690, uh, which was uh, also first percentile. And um, his strikeout rate also went from 24.6 percent in the few innings he pitched last year to 14.8 percent this year. His walk rate was 12%, so he was just barely striking out more guys than he was walking. Uh, and he also, you know, he got sent down to the minors at some points. He came back up at various points, and just it never really looked like he was fit for that rotation. And I hope he can get that velocity back. I don't know if he was dealing with something, with an injury or whatever, but uh, Luis Ortiz uh, was my number one flop for sure this year. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, you know it's it's hard to it's hard to pick pirates players here, can be can be difficult. Um, so yeah, I for some reason I I kind of I I forgot a certain guy, and I'll I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a like a co champion for okay. my my best for my worst flops because one of them was a real shot in the dark, and the other I was fairly fairly comfortable with uh, heading into the season. So the one I took the shot in the dark with was Anthony Mizowitz and uh he was a left-handed reliever he was dropped by the Royals and he was signed by the Cardinals and he never actually ended up pitching for the Cardinals this year he pitched with three MLB teams but none of them were the team that I, I picked him, him as, a player, as a player to watch for he pitched with the Diamondbacks with the Tigers and the Yankees um but he did not pitch with the Cardinals uh even though I picked him as my Cardinals player. The Harold Ramirez treatment. Yes, yes, indeed. But this one made a lot more sense because he was yeah. not good. Uh, he had a <laughs> 7.36 ERA this year in 11 innings pitched. Um, I mentioned how I, I kept his, I kept my eye on him with the Royals because he had a significantly higher strikeout rate with the Royals, and he had a, he had a 30% strikeout rate with the Royals. But this year, his strikeout rate was 14.5%, uh, you know, really, really bad. I mentioned how in his Royal stint, his fastball velocity went from 90, his forcing fastball velocity went from 92.5 miles per hour to 94.3 miles per hour. And this year, his forcing fastball velocity was down to 93, which was uh, 1.3 miles per hour less than it was with the Royals last year. So I was I was taking a shot in the dark. I thought maybe maybe the Cardinals are doing something here, but um, 
but they were not. They they actually they got rid of him, and he played for three other MLB teams and did not do well with any one of them. <laughs> so, uh, he he is the co-champion, and the is other that the one you forgot. That was the one I forgot. Yeah, okay, and the other enough. co-champion that I had listed is Rowdy Telez. Um, also a video about him in our YouTube yep. short feed. Um, we've got Max Kepler, Nolan Jones, and also Rowdy Telez and and Brock Burke, by the way, too. Um, so so it was it was a hit or miss there as well. But with Rowdy Telez, his slugging dropped 85 points, his OPS dropped 100 points, and after being maybe you know maybe the most effective hitter on the Brewers last year, he was completely completely left off the Brewers playoff roster this year. And we don't really know what his future is with Milwaukee right now because his his performance uh, dropped dramatically. And I was very high on him uh, coming into the season because he was one of the, he was one of the players that, you know, the, he really had a tough time against the shift, uh, really bad numbers on pulled ground balls and straightaway ground balls and just generally pulled and straightaway batted balls. Uh, you know, shout out to foolish Bailey. He also flopped on this one. He was in the, he was in his five players to f- five hitters that he liked uh, heading into 2023. So yeah, two thumbs down from me as well on Roddy Telez. So yeah, those are, yeah. those are our hits and flops of the year uh, with, with players to watch. Um, do we want, what, which one do we want to close on? Do we want to close on the custom awards or the BBWA? Let's close on let's let's close on the custom awards and do the I BBWA agree. awards now. Yes, I I agree with that because also just the conversation about the BBWA awards this year is pretty bland. It's so lame. There's there's one that I feel like sort of passionate about. Yeah, because just to just to prepare for this episode, I I listened back to our episode last year around this time about the BBWA awards. And there was a lot more, there was a lot more to talk about. You had Spencer Strider versus Michael Harris in the, in the, in the national league rookie of the year, you had like Quan Rutschman and, and Julio Rodriguez in the AL rookie of the year. You had the classic, you know, Otani judge thing of, of talking about which one was more valuable. And, you know, Paul Goldschmidt had some competition in the NL MVP. Whereas this year, it seems like m- most of these awards are going to be taken away uh, very very handily um and yeah we'll start with american league rookie of the year where uh yeah this one this one is fairly obvious yeah i mean most of them are fairly obvious but yeah i, I don't even have any numbers on them but it's it's gunner henderson and corbin carroll they're both corbin carroll's gonna win it unanimously i didn't even i didn't even think about who would be the uh the two and three and it was what senga and james alman yeah yeah cool good for cool. them uh, uh i i wonder if uh, i you know what sucks too like i don't know i mean Altman already debuted last year right um saying i think senga's probably going to get second over uh carol which means that in the nl we don't even have the cool like uh service time rule with the rookie of the year award because both uh, of them are already on specific contracts anyway yeah that does suck so that's unfortunate um and yeah, I don't know. As far as I don't think it even works either for Casas or or Henderson or it might be work for Bybee actually if he gets top two. Right. I yeah yeah because well because uh, he came yeah. up like because you get it's if it's you get a full year of service time if you finish top two 
in the rookie of the year voting and both Henderson and Casas started out the year anyway. They have a full yeah, year. Bobby did not. So Bobby would get that. Uh, so I guess it'd be cool if he got second. Yeah, that's, that's, that is true. Um, yeah. The only guy that's benefited from that, I think is Adley Rutschman, right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Yes. Yeah, only Adley Rutschman. Um, so yeah, AL rookie of the year. Um, my, you know, we'll have our picks, We'll have our picks and also what who we think will win. And a lot of the time it's the same guy. And it's for, for us too, it's, you know, Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll. We think, you know, we think they should win and we think they're going to win. Um, with Gunnar Henderson, he led all American League rookies in wins above replacement, home runs, runs scored, runs batted in, and offensive runs above average. With Corbin Carroll, he led all National League rookies in wins above replacement, home runs, stolen bases, runs scored, and offensive runs above average. Uh, yeah, Corbin Carroll had like a generational rookie season. Mm-hmm. Like this was a fantastic one. He's probably going to be uh, top five in National League MVP. Uh, you know, definitely top 10, uh, no doubt about it, top 10. And yeah, I mean, he was, you know, at the through June, he was a candidate to potentially win MVP. So yeah, like, he was an amazing player with Gunnar Henderson. Um, you know, not a lot of competition around him. You know, Tristan Cassis, he had great offense, but his defense was pretty atrocious, especially, you know, even as a first baseman, it was it was really, really bad. Um, and Tanner Bybee, he had a really good year, um, just didn't really have the innings um, or quite the excellence that would put him over Gunnar Henderson. Um, he trailed by him in wins above replacement by uh, at least one on both websites. So, you know, you go, you go with the everyday player, Gunnar Henderson had, you know, very good offense, very good defense, very good base running, just an overall good season from him. And, and yeah, that's why, that's why the rookie of the year is, is pretty obvious for, for both leagues. So um, anything more before we move on to uh, our least favorite award? Uh, no, let's do it. Let's talk about manager of the year, baby. Oh boy. I mean, this this is so meaningful like it's gonna be very funny like i think people don't realize that these awards are voted on uh you know before the uh season or before the start of the postseason and there's so many people being like well it's obviously bochi like what and it's yeah. like wait till they see that brandon hyde wins it with like 20 votes for first yeah. place yeah and and i don't know i I've been su- I've been surprised at many manager of the year res- results. So that is I honestly, true. I wouldn't be surprised to see Bochi take it. However, putting into perspective, like what the atmosphere was like on October second when I think these awards are voted on, which you know, yeah, the, I mean, the, 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 the Rangers had just lost the division. Yeah, the Rangers, you know, had a lead for a had a division lead for a lot of the season, and it went away. Meanwhile, the Orioles won the best division in baseball. Yeah, uh, the best of May. Like people were saying, the best division ever. Yeah, best division like in baseball history, or at least in the you know in the wild card era when they've had these types of divisions. So, yeah. so you know, and Brendan Hyde's team, you know, won eleven more games. However, also the Rangers had a twenty-two game win improvement from from twenty twenty-two to twenty twenty-three, whereas the Orioles only had eighteen. But that's that's you know, there's a lot of things that go into this. But um, is is your pick also Brandon Hyde? Yeah. Um. So yeah, my pick is Brandon Hyde, and 
Who's the other finalist? It's Tide, it's Bochi. And who's um, the other one? Kevin Cash. Oh, yeah. Kevin Cash, actually, he has a decent case. but He does, I think have, he does have actually a fair case. It, the discussion will be Brandon Hyde versus. I think I think I think there's a fair case we made for for Kevin Cash over Bruce Bochy. I think there is too. However, like I, I know think... that Bochy, you know, destroyed both of them in the playoffs, but it's a regular season award. Exactly, exactly. So, like, yeah, Kevin Cash lost his entire pitching staff and still won 99 games. Yeah, exactly. Like the... that's not to discredit Bruce Bochy. Like the Rangers absolutely outperformed this season, but. Yeah, no, those are actually our three strong candidates. It'd be yeah. very funny if Kevin Cash wins it for a third time. It, w- it would like, be funny. unheard of territory like, for such a short span of time. And then him and Bob Melvin can have three managers of the year and no World Series. Um, yeah. Each of them. So well, I think. Showalter, too. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. He Except won his one. were like 20 years apart. That's, yeah. Who he won one with the Yankees, one with the Rangers, and one with the Orioles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think so, it was in ni- I think it was in 1994, like 2000. I think I think it might have been 2004 with the Rangers, and then 2014 with the Orioles. Yeah, and then 2021 with the her 2022 with the Mets. Oh yeah, so he has four. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I dude, I do you think I remember who won Manager of the Year last year? No yeah, shot. it's like it's like no knowing shot. the RBI leaders. Yeah, it was Buck Showalter and I think Tito, right? Yeah, Tito won it. Yeah, good for him. Um, so and I thought Brandon Hyde should have won it last year, and and the debate this year is going to be Brandon Hyde versus Bruce Bochy, most likely. Even though Kevin Cash should get more, a little bit, a little bit more consideration, but yeah. it's probably going to be Bochy versus Hyde because both of them came in with low expectations this year and they exceeded them. So with Brandon Hyde, like we have to remember his opening day starter was Kyle Gibson. Uh, That's what he went in with. Mm -hmm. That's what the Orioles went in with as an organization coming into this year. A lot of them had them last place. And if they didn't have them last place, they had them fourth place and out of the playoffs. Um, You know, we talked about how the Orioles didn't really take any steps forward um, organizationally uh, in the past off season in making the team better. And despite that, the Orioles won 101 games this year. They won 18 more than last year. And that was with like a $75 million payroll. So whereas the Rangers, you know, they they won 22 more games than last year, but the Rangers improvement can largely be attributed to big front office moves. Uh, even though, you know, Jacob deGrom, he, he only made whatever, six starts this year. There were still some additions like Nathan Eovaldi, Andrew Heaney, um, you know, uh, as well as, you know, some additions from last year that carried over with Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. And, you know, that was a $250 million team, the Rangers were. And yeah, I, I just don't, I think Hyde had to do more maneuvering with the roster that he had than Bochi did. Bochi was probably more a little, a little bit more plug and play, which is easier to do when you have such talented players like, like the Rangers do. Whereas Hyde, I think had to mix and match his lineup a lot more, mix and match his bullpen a lot more, and uh, and ultimately do that as as well as Kevin Cash did. Um, so yeah, that's that's why we we have Brandon Hyde. Um, I think they'll go with Brandon Hyde, but I wouldn't be surprised. I do too. I, I can't get surprised at anything with managers. I don't know. Like I feel like they'll just be like they'll just hop on the Bochi train because he's Bruce Bochi. Yeah, 
Yeah. Like a lot of people were like, he came out of retirement and he took this team that had 68 wins last year. And that's probably going to be a lot of it is because like the Rangers were the worst team the previous year out of the three. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and he brought them to the playoffs and they almost won. Like they could give it to Bo. They could give it to Bochi. I wouldn't agree with it, but I also like, who cares? Manager of the year. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just watching the Rangers. It was like, it was their players doing well because they were good and not because they were like put in the right situation. It, it That's what it felt like. Like they scored, they scored a crazy amount of runs. It's because they have good hitters. It's not necessarily because of amazing like lineup construction or, or whatever can be attributed to a manager. This, this award is so stupid. We should emphasize that we don't, we don't really know who is the best manager this year. Let's, let's get that straight. Um, NL so, manager of the year. NL Manager of the Year. I thought you were um, about to move on to Cy Young. Oh yeah, <laughs> National League. Uh, you know, you know what we're rooting for. Um, what are we? What are we rooting for? The we're rooting for Craig Council to win it. Oh yeah, the classic, <laughs> the classic, the classic win. team can't post about it. Yes, <laughs> it's very funny. If you look at MLB's posts about like the managers, they tagged the Braves and the and the uh, Marlins, but not the, the Brewers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Brewers did not post about it. They posted about uh, one of their guys that homered in the Arizona Fall League. Yeah. Oh, he's in the organization. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. I so... think on the same day too. So with these finalists, um, it's yeah, it's uh yeah, Craig Council, Brian Snicker of the Braves, and uh and Skip Schumacher, who I think Schumacher will win it, um, if I had to guess, just based on the fact that they went from sixty-nine wins to eighty-four wins, you know, a fourth place team to a playoff team. Um, and you know, good, you know, he's a first year manager as well. I think he'll he'll win it. Who, who do you think is gonna win this one? I think Skip Schumacher is going to win it. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's like, it's a, first of all, it's a first year guy. Like Craig Council and Brian Snitker have both, you know, been there, done that. Um, Snitker was in what, his like sixth year with the Braves, seventh year with the Braves. Yeah. And Council was in his ninth. Um, and I don't know. I think, I think people are just going to be like, I mean, you know, Snitker did win 104 games, he, but he also had the most talented lineup ever. Um, and Council, I think, like, I don't know. I just don't see him. Like, in a weak division where the only other competitive team just didn't show up, I don't think they'd give it to him. I think it's going to go to Skip Schumacher, uh, which I'm fine with. Um, It's, you know, it's like I said, it's a first-year guy, and it's a team that people didn't think was going to go to the playoffs that went to the playoffs, even though they only won 84 games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this is where I I might go off on a little bit of a tangent here because my pick if i if i was a writer and i was given you know the pen and paper or whatever they do i I think it's i think it's all digital now but you know i was given the i was given the account to link i was given the link to uh you know do my google forms uh thing or whatever they do um to pick my manager of the year my pick would have been david bell of the reds i thought he was the best manager and it makes me wonder like what are these what are these people evaluating when evaluating manager of the year is it team success is it team improvement because you know if it's team success then you know i guess i guess brian snicker gets that but me personally i you know i think the consensus would be 
the Braves didn't win 104 games because of Brian Snicker. They they could have thrown in a lot of different managers and still won 100 games and won and won that division pretty easily. Whereas, and and I think sometimes people look at like win total improvement as a as a sign of things, and sometimes that's that that's not the most accurate. But if you're looking at win improvement, look at the Reds. They went from 61 wins last year to 82 wins this year. And I don't really care that they missed the playoffs. They still out outdid expectations by a lot. Um, I think there's an argument that for I think there's an argument to be made that manager manager of the year can be looked at like MVP, where like a, a player who can lift a 70 win team to an 80 win team is just as valuable as lifting them from 85 wins to 95 wins and, and become a division winner. Whereas with manager manager of the year making a 60 win team into an 80 win team is just as impressive as making an 80 win team into a 100 win team. You know, it's, it's that same difference. And if bell was like on the Braves, maybe they'd even have more success. So with David bell and his job with the reds, I think it is so commendable. Even if they didn't make the playoffs, it was far, far above their expectation. Uh, bell had zero qualifying pitchers this year, you know, zero with 162 innings or more. He only had one pitcher with 120 plus innings this year. Uh, and the team was objectively in a worse spot entering 2023 versus entering 2022 when they won 61 games. They didn't have Castillo this year, you know, Luis Castillo. They didn't have Tyler Molle. They didn't have Brandon Drury and they didn't have Tommy Pham. All those guys were on the 2022 team and not on the 2023 team. And they, they were consensus last place, you know, consensus, like everyone was predicting them to be a last place team this year, but they ended up winning 82 games and, you know, two more games and they're in the playoffs. And I don't think that should be the difference between him being a finalist and him not being a finalist. I think he should get that credit either way. Um, and yeah, that's, that's my rant on why David Bell should be manager of the year and why he should get more consideration, even though he didn't make the playoffs. I'll keep going. I mean, like what did the Reds do the second the lockout ended? They traded the Eugenio Suarez. They traded Jesse Winker. They traded Sonny Gray. They got rid of a lot of their guys. They only they pretty much only kept Luis Castillo as soon as the lockout ended. That's going into 2022. What they do midway through 2022, they traded Luis Castillo. Uh, and going into yeah, going into 2023, they were kind of looking for an identity, and that identity became all of the youth that they had contributing this year. I mean, look at the entire infield, right? It was it was Spencer Steer, it was Matt McLean, it was uh, Noel V. Marte late in the season, it was Christian Encarnacion Strand late in the season, it was Ellie De La Cruz, of course, for a, a while there. Like they they brought in so many new faces that weren't just new to Cincinnati. They were new to Major League Baseball and they contributed pretty immediately. Uh, and that's the reason they even got to the point where they were an 80 win team. You know, like if if they're throwing out, uh, you know, if there's, you know, it's possibly if they're still throwing out Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker, that it's just not the same team. Like it's it's a worse team objectively. Like the the rebuild that we've seen has made them an objectively better team right now. Yeah, there there just wasn't any hope for the Reds coming into this year. You know, they had a good farm system, but we didn't expect them to develop those guys until yeah. a couple of years later on. Whereas and that's now, with, yeah, and that's with Nicoladolo getting injured for the entire season. It's with Graham Ashcraft getting injured late in the season, with Hunter Green spending time on the IL. Like all of the guys that we even liked at the beginning of the year didn't play the whole year. Yeah, exactly. We we entered this year thinking 
you know, we have Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo and maybe Graham Ashcraft to look forward to. Lodolo pitched, I don't know, like 30, 40 innings this year. Hunter Green pitched, I think, 112, you know, 50 innings from from qualifying. Like, you Andrew know, Abbott, we didn't even have on our radars. I forgot to yeah. mention him. And and with the farm system, like we, we mentioned some of the guys that came up, only like two of those guys were high profile when they came up. That's, you know, Ellie De La Cruz and Noel V. Marte. Those were both, I think, you know, top 20 prospects, uh, Ellie De, De La Cruz being top five. Whereas I think a lot of those guys were a little bit more under the radar, maybe not necessarily high profile, but they succeeded yeah. immediately. And, you know, I think maybe a little bit of that can be can, can be attributed to David Bell and and the culture he has with the Reds. And, you know, we don't, this is why the, uh, you know, this, the award is stupid. We don't know what is attributed to the manager. Um, but the fact that they won 20 more, 21 more games last year with what we expected to be a worse team, that I think that says measures, you know, or, or that says, that says many things about, yeah, about this, uh, about what the job that David Bell did. And um, I think he's more deserving than any of these finalists. Uh, which is why I think... uh, one thing that I'm very look, much looking forward to, I'm assuming I'm assuming Skip Schumacher is going to win it. And I think of these finalists, he should win it. But uh, it would be the second time that uh, Don Mattingly's replacement immediately wins manager of the year. Oh, yeah. Dave, Dave, Dave Roberts, Roberts won it in 2016. So yeah. it, it'd be fun for the narrative of everywhere he goes, once he leaves, they get immediately better. Yeah, what was funny was when you mentioned like uh, Bruce Bochy potentially winning because of him being Bruce Bochy. That was such a Don Mattingly thing in in 2020. Uh, when he, I when mean, he... there was also like the fact they lost their entire team to the pandemic for 25 percent of the year. That's true, but I f- I forget who I picked. But they did have a losing record. Yeah, uh, I... yeah, we picked someone. It might have been David Bell, even. Uh, David yeah, who Ross. won the divisions? It was probably David Ross, yeah, because it was his first year and he won the division, and yeah, in, 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 in like when he wasn't really supposed to. Yeah, I forget, I, I forget who we thought should have won, but but didn't. But they selected Don Mattingly. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it would be funny for the narrative, as you said, of, of you know everywhere he goes, the team gets better after. Yeah, but, but yeah, with with Skip Schumacher, I'll do respect. Uh, if I were voting i would have david bell number one but skip schumacher would be the runner-up because i think he's done a very good job with the with the team uh in his first year so anything more on manager of the year uh no no more on manager of the year all right american american league cy young um is garrett cole garrett cole yeah he did it he did it um, Garrett Cole has won his first Cy Young, his his second time in the finalist top of his career, <laughs> his second finalist of his career. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was probably he, the third actually. Maybe yeah, fourth, fifth. I don't know. He was a he was a finalist in twenty twenty one and twenty nineteen, maybe twenty eighteen. Uh, Verlander and Snell and. I don't know. Kluber, I think. Kluber. Yeah, yeah, it was Kluber. But um was, yeah. But yeah, Garrett Cole, he's our pick and prediction this year. Um, you know, he'll he'll probably win fairly comfortably. May may even win unanimously just because, you know, when you lead in innings and ERA, it's just hard to lose. Yeah. It's hard to have 
much of a case against you. Uh, we saw that with Robbie Ray two years ago. Like he didn't have the strongest case, but he led in innings in ERA and he won pretty overwhelmingly uh, in 2021. Garrett Cole, you know, led in ERA, had a 3.17 FIP, which is also really good. And he had 24 more innings than Kevin Gosman, 25 more than Sonny Gray, who are the other two finalists. Uh, and yeah, best best ERA and most innings pitched is pretty much an automatic recipe to win the Cy Young. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. uh, now the NL Cy Young, I think, is a little more interesting. Like the results won't be, but I think our analysis will differ from the writers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to hear um what you have to say on the National League Cy Young. Yeah, so the finalists are Blake Snell, Logan Webb, and Zach Gallen. Blake Snell is going to win this award. If I had a vote, I would give my vote to Logan uh, who pitched 36 more innings than Blake Snell this year in, I think, only one more start. Logan Webb made 33 starts. Blake Snell made uh, 32 starts. And again, 36 more innings pitched. That is four full games more in just an actual one game more that logan webb pitched um and the way like the the, the foolish bailey metric is uh he got 108 more outs than uh because innings pitched is ultimately outs recorded that's how you get innings pitched is you get outs um uh, i understand that blake snell had a era that was a full run higher uh but you know he led i mean still in only 180 innings pitched he led the major leagues in walks this year with 99. Uh, he got a lot of strikeouts. He got a lot of guys to chase on his outside stuff. Uh, he also just didn't throw a lot of strikes, but he happened to have been deceptive enough. Uh, because of that, he didn't give up a lot of hits. Um, and yeah, I mean, his his run prevention was awesome this year. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, but Logan Webb had, yes, an ERA full run higher. However, a 3.25 ERA is still excellent. He had a 6.26 strikeout-to-walk ratio. He gave up uh, only 0.8 uh, home runs per nine, the same as Blake Snell, actually. Um, but, I mean, those like that much more of a workload, uh, It like I don't know, it means something to me because he was still a very efficient pitcher. He had a better FIP uh, than Blake Snell this year, despite his ERA being a full run higher. Um, yeah, I would go with Logan Webb. I know he's not going to win it, and I understand why he's not going to win it, but uh, that's who I would go with. Yeah, there's there's definitely like analytically a very solid argument for Logan Webb, especially given the fact that he threw 36 more innings and had a lower FIP and had a lower expected ERA to go with that. Um, you know, this using the stat cast metrics. Um, I think the argument if you're going solely on um run prevention. Someone, yeah, someone in, made like the like the Virgin versus Chad meme with Blake Snell being the Chad, and it was like five incredible innings. <laughs> yeah. Um so which is you know what you're right you're right but yeah. i i'll take i'll take you know seven to eight really solid innings instead of five incredible innings so um so yeah with blake snell if you're looking solely at era and innings and you're taking out the in and we have to put our blinders on to the um peripherals to the peripheral numbers yes uh the underlying numbers um i think it's it's definitely blake snell because uh if you this is also a foolish Bailey metric is you, you add the, you add the innings and the extra earned runs allowed. Uh, Logan Webb had 36 more innings with the, the difference in earned runs allowed between them would give Webb an 8.25 ERA for those extra 36 innings, which is not productive. However, it's, it's a little bit more. That's also hypothetical because those extra Blake Snell innings are the, are just the sixth and seventh innings. 
Well, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not putting it in a literal sense or mm. maybe I'm putting it in too literal a sense, but just like overall looking at it, not looking at what if Blake Snell pitched those 36 more innings. It's just those 36 innings had garnered, you know, an 8.25 ERA or, or whatever, mm-hmm. it, or, or it didn't literally garner that, but no, that's I what, mean, I think the difference there, like I kind of just mentioned is like, you know, it's not like, it's not like Logan Webb had more innings because Blake Snell missed a couple starts. They, he, they made virtually the same number of starts. Uh, Logan Webb went deeper into games, saved his bullpen a lot more. I mean, look at, you know, I mean, like the Padres bullpen uh, this year was a part of the reason they didn't miss the playoffs. And I'm not saying Blake Snell's, you know, innings workload or lack thereof was the direct reason why the Padres missed the playoffs, but there's there's a difference. Like there, there's It means something to be able to go deep into games. Um, and, you know, when you're going five every time virtually, um, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, I, I do think it takes away some of your value as a starting pitcher. No, uh, if you know, if we're talking, if we're talking Cy Young race specifically, yeah, I one hundred percent agree. Um, I one hundred percent agree with that, and <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that that was a debate that was had. Um, the first time the Blake the Blake Snell won the Cy Young was it was him versus Verlander. I think Verlander threw like thirty four more innings. Um, yeah, but Blake Snell also had a two seventeen ERA plus that year. Like, yeah, <laughs> like the run prevention was simply better back then and it still is very good now but it was very much in 2018 so yeah uh just just clarifying on just for the audience what i mean by the 8.25 era and the extra 36 innings is webb had 33 more earned runs allowed in 36 more innings so that would make an 8.25 era and 36 innings is what i mean by that um but that goes away from the point because um Evaluating this, you do have to look at peripheral numbers because Blake Snell had a lot of luck on his side, um, just in general. And, you know, I kind of went into what that luck looked like. And some of that is, and some of it, I just had to look at the underlying numbers within the under, underlying numbers because Snell's difference in ERA and FIP and ERA and expected ERA, a lot of that ha- actually had to do with situational pitching so with FIP and expected ERA it accounts for you know players having league average timing so having the same results with runners in scoring position as you do with with the bases empty and Blake Snell did not have those those similar numbers with Blake Snell hitters hit 186 against him with the bases empty and 152 against him with runners in scoring position and had a 617 OPS against him with uh with the bases empty as opposed to 470 OPS a 470 OPS against him with runners in scoring position and then you break that down and you think okay how much of that is luck uh he had a 229 BABIP against uh with runners in scoring position so, so you think you know maybe there was some some extra hard hit line drives that were that were caught when when he had runners in scoring position, but just even his underlying numbers improved with runners in scoring position. Uh, Blake Snell's numbers did. Uh, his he had a five mile per hour drop in average exit velocity from when he had no runners on to when he had runners in scoring position, and he had the fifth lowest exit velocity against with runners in scoring position out of seventy of this year. Uh, also with runners in scoring position, his ground ball rate went from 43% to 54%. Uh, his sweet spot rate went from 37% to 31%. And he had the lowest expected slugging with runners in scoring position out of 70 uh, this year. So he 
improved with runners in scoring position, which is something that FIP and expected ERA does not account for. That's one thing that I will talk about um, when, you know, talking about the flaws with those numbers. So I'm still picking, if I had the vote, I would still pick Blake Snell, which I'm not excited about because I wanted, I didn't want to pick Blake Snell, but he, he is my pick and he's obviously my projection. I think he'll win it with at least 25 first place votes. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my breakdown of it is I think with what the FIP and expected ERA doesn't tell us is he dramatically improved his pitching with runners and scoring position. Um, even though some of that can be a little bit arbitrary, but um, it, it did really help him in the run prevention aspect of it. It's why he had such a low ERA was, was because he dramatically improved his performance when, when the, when the situation called for it. So that's all I got on National League Cy Young. Uh, are we ready to go to? Yeah, I do want to. I do want to kind of go back on your point there. You know, I get that. Like, you know, I, I think the easy thing to say with you know the the runners in scoring position stuff, it's like, yeah, he buckled down and he got the big outs, uh, and that's valid. But I mean, the thing for me is like, he gave himself way too many opportunities to have to get those big outs, right? I mean, like, if you're a starting pitcher, like you know, getting the big outs is usually you putting yourselves in that situation. You know, if you're a reliever, you might be having to clean someone else's mess or you have to, you know, you know, try to keep inherited runners at bay. But Blake Snell, you know, especially early in the year, and I know early in the year is not when he won the Cy Young, he won it late in the year, but, you know, every single time was like, it was like the John, it was like the 2021 John Gantz uh, innings where he would be like, you know, he would walk a couple guys, give up a hit, load the bases and then find his way out of it. And he would do this repeatedly every single game. And, you know, like I said, yeah, he, he gets the big outs. He absolutely does, no doubt about that. But it's the fact that he creates so many situations for himself that he needs to get the big outs uh, that I feel like Logan Webb just did not do to the same degree. Yeah, and it, it, it all trails back to the run prevention aspect of it, and that's why I wanted to address it because I, I wanted to address that specifically because I, wa- I didn't want to go Blake Snell because... Yeah, I, I, think, I think this is more just out of protest for a guy... With you know that winnings workload getting the Cy Young, yeah, and and why 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 I mention it and why it's a discussion is I didn't want to put Blake Snell because he had such a high difference in ERA and the peripheral numbers, but then I went into why the peripheral numbers were were so off, and I determined hey you know there there is a reason why he he allowed you know there is a reason why he had a an ERA that was well, a full run better than, than Logan Webb's or exactly or, or a full run, exactly a full run. So, um, I, I kind of went into that and I determined, you know, he, I, I think he was the better pitcher this year, but, um, ultimately it doesn't matter because the BBWAA will overwhelmingly, will overwhelmingly vote for Snell. Yeah. 100%. Snell. And, and a lot of that will, and none of that will be with the analysis that we had. It will just be no. looking at ERA. It'll just be like, you know, how many how many wins did he get? Now, maybe Logan Webb had more wins. Like Snow went fourteen and nine. That's not that good. Uh, oh, Logan Webb went eleven and thirteen. Never mind, it's cooked. It's over. <laughs> wow, Logan Webb had a losing record this year. Yeah, That's well, hilarious. What was, what was Corbin Burns's record when he won it? It was not in twenty twenty one. It probably was. I mean, like. People don't really look at wins in the BBWA the same way they used to. Thankfully, it used to just be whoever had the most wins won the Cy Young uh, automatically every time. Uh, he went eleven and five. I mean, yeah. Because when we trashed when we trashed the writers, I do go back to the twenty twenty one Cy Young voting, and I'm like, well, 
they were a little bit based there. They, yeah, they were. I they, mean, like a lot of, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? You know, it's kind of the same situation we have here where it's Corbin Burns in the place <laughs> of Blake Snell and uh, Logan Webb in the place of Zach Wheeler. And I was very much a Corbin Burns Cy Young guy back in 2021. And I think the difference here is just Corbin Burns had a generational FIP season. And I know that you're not really supposed to look at FIP for Cy Young, uh, but I, I did because he had a, what, what was it, like a one six three FIP that year? Yes. Yeah, he had a one six three FIP, the best, the second best in the last decade. Right. And and along with that, like, I think you should look at, you know, FIP for, for Cy Young. Maybe not necessarily for, like, MVP. Really? He just, I mean, first of all, he only, he made five less starts, starts than uh, Blake Snell. There are four less starts than Blake Snell did this year, but he did pitch 13 less innings. He only qualified by five innings. Yeah. And a lot of the people, a lot of people argued, you know, that Zach Wheeler should have gotten more recognition because, or, you know, more uh, recognition because he, you know, had a low ERA with much, much more outs. And I think our arguments were like, Corbin Burns should have actually had more outs. It's just he had such he had a, a bad he had some bad luck, you know, with ground balls and whatnot, he and did. especially, you know, batted balls with runners in scoring position where he should have gotten more outs and he should have uh, prevented more runs. And that's why that's why we picked him. Ultimately, it wasn't because of the innings ERA combination. It was because of the innings ERA expected ERA FIP combination uh, compared to Zach Wheeler's. Um, that's why we thought he should have won in 2021. Look, yeah. yeah, we could, it's possible that we live the rest of our lives and never see a one, six, three fifth in a full season again. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Especially with like, you know, I think DeGrom would be like the guy to do it, but you don't know if he's going to be, a, yeah, you get you, the key, keyword is full season. Yeah. Keyword is full season. Um, cause yeah, he, uh, Burns did not have the lowest FIP among pitchers with 90 plus innings pitch that year because Degrom, uh, Degrom was having his own general generational season and then he did he did got injured. It sucked. It, it was, what was his ERA that year? Was it like one four or something like that? His ERA, Jacob, I think it was one oh eight. If I'm yeah, if I'm correct in that because he, he was the one that was actually like also getting the big outs. Like he was getting the luck, I should say, on the big outs. One he had a one seven or uh, he had a one oh eight ERA with a one twenty four FIP. Exactly. Wow, <clears throat> uh, that's awesome. That's really cool that he did that. It was so fun. Um, he has a, his strikeout to walk ratio since twenty twenty one. Not in a lot of innings, but uh, it was fourteen. It was it's it's overwhelmingly double digits. Yeah, his strikeout. I'm waiting for baseball reference to load it. His strikeout minus walk rate since 2021 is like over 40%, or his league average is 14%. That's so sick. Um, yeah, I really want to see him out on the mound. It sucks that he's in, he's injured all the time. Yeah. Uh, okay, so American League MVP, pretty easy. Yeah, it's 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 Marcus Simeon. He did it. Yes. Yes. He. Uh, yeah. He, he played. You know why? It's because he played all of the games. He played all of the games, and what's more valuable yeah. than that? Yeah, I mean, like you knew he was going to be out there every day. Yeah, exactly. So that that's value. Yeah. So uh, the finalists. This is why. This is why Whit Merrifield should have won MVP from like 2018 through 20. Well, I just dis- I disagree with the finalists personally. I think it should have been 
uh, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, and Luis Garcia because they won the World Series. And what's more valuable than that? Yeah. Yeah. And they would not have been better with Shohei Otani. That's he was on the losing team. They lost mm-hmm. because of Shohei Otani. Um, so breaking down. So yeah, we we're we're both picking Shohei Otani here, and he's he's gonna win it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's gonna be unanimous. It should be unanimous. I love but... how I didn't even say that, and you're just like, yeah, we're both picking Shohei Otani. I mean, yeah. If you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, would I did I even give Corey Seager a thought? No. No. <laughs> um. So so breaking it down, uh, Shohei Otani had. 594 more batter pitcher interactions than Corey Seager. That's like a full season's worth of batter pitcher pitcher interactions. Also, Tani had a higher OPS plus by 14 points. And he also had a 314 ERA and 142 ERA plus in 132 innings pitched. Um, We we can talk all day about how the team success thing is, is really worthless because we know the angels would probably be, uh, you know, if if Six. Shohei Otani was on the Rangers, they would have clinched the division with a week to go. That's correct. Yeah. Um. If if they if there was a straight up trade for, for uh, between Shohei Otani and Corey Seager, and they were traded, they were flip flopped. Uh, the Angels would win less games, and the Rangers would would also the Rangers would have won the division most likely. Yeah. Um. That's that's the situation. Uh. You know that's 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 the that's the team success thing. Um, do we want to move on to National League MVP? Uh, yeah, this is definitely the more interesting one. I mean, I think it's interesting in the fact that like the converse, like there's a case to be made for multiple people, but I think the results are going to be overwhelmingly in favor of Ronald Acuna Jr. I think he gets between like twenty to twenty-five first place votes. I think there are a few Mookies out there, but I think Ronald Acuna is going to run away with it. Um. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll be unanimous, but yeah, I agree that Acuna will probably will get at least twenty first place votes. Um, maybe uh, yeah. even maybe even twenty five. Um, and I'll be honest, I get why, and I kind of apply that reasoning as well. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. He's my pick. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's yours, but um, he's my pick. He had twenty five more points of OPS than Mookie Betts. Five more points of OPS plus. Obviously, 59 more stolen bases, three more extra bases taken, um, you know, in terms of going first to third on a single or first to home on a double. That's an extra base taken. So we had three more of those. He had a higher stolen base percentage. Also, people will talk about his caught stealings, but he had a higher stolen base percentage than uh, Mookie Betts or stolen base success rate. He also had a 12 percent higher extra base taken right rate and one point eight more win probability added. Um, I think. Me personally, like uh Betts and Acuna are tied in F war. I think the I think the debate I, I think the uh the race is less close than the wins above replacement would indicate, even in my own personal opinion. Um so yeah, that's that's my thoughts on the National League MVP. Yeah, I also have Ronald Acuna Jr. winning it. Um it's pretty close. Yeah, I think you know Acuna has a slight edge in offense. Uh, he has a severe, he has a strong uh, advantage in, in base running. And Betts has the advantage in defense, but I don't think it's enough to outweigh uh, the advantages that Acuna has elsewhere. I don't think there's anything much else to say about it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think at the, um, for our first half awards, I mentioned like, if you lead in OPS and stolen bases, you're pretty much like automatic MVP for yeah. me, unless 
the defense is so so detrimental. Oh yeah, that's unless, not really yeah. the case unless with you're Kyle Schwarber level defense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, even, if, even if you're a DH, I'd still vote for you or a first baseman with bad defensive numbers. Exactly, it's and le- it's, it's less. It's less like I mean, in a lot of cases, it's less detrimental to the actual team winning. And with and with Mookie Betts, like I I think there would be a case if Mookie Betts was out there playing like uh like like he was defensively in 2017 and 2018, but Mookie Betts is not like a Gold Glove fielder anymore. I, I gotta check the gotta check the metrics here, but his mm-hmm. um he had negative four outs above average this year. Um he in terms of total fielding run value, he was at negative three. So it's not like the but Chris, the, but Chris, he was a finalist for Gold Glove. Well, you know, we know how that goes. Um, <laughs> so, and t- if we're in two different spots at outfield and utility. Yeah, well, you know, we're looking at the eye test. That is more yeah. valuable than any any number you could uh, you could put out there. Um, all right, so, so yeah, those are the BBWAA awards, but those are those are maybe the least fun awards we'll get into today because. Yeah. We are closing out with our annual custom awards. Um, I have the three same ones that I've had in 2021 and 2022. I have the three same ones that I had in 2022 as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have some fun ones. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised with what you brought to the table last year with uh, with the custom awards. Um, what, what do you got for um, what do you got for the first custom award? I'm trying to find. Oh, there's please. Okay, so the first award that I have tonight is the Hershey Award, which is awarded to a player, usually not a guy you expect to be there, but a guy with a very high sweet spot rate uh, that had that kind of as a prelim- preliminary, uh, you know, premier part of their offense. Uh, so, like, for example, Freddie Freeman led in sweet spot rate this year, but you know Freddie Freeman for more than just his sweet spot rate. I'm talking guy who hit the ball in the right spot, and that's really kind of the extent of it. And the winner of the Hershey Award in 2023, following up Ryan De La Cruz last year, is Donovan Solano of the Minnesota Twins. Congratulations, Donovan Solano. A 43.1% sweet spot rate this year in 295 batted balls. That is fourth among all qualifiers this year. Uh, if you're wondering how many qualifiers there were, uh, I'll get that to you once baseball savant loads. It is 258. Uh, so Donovan Solano, the second annual award winner for the Hershey Award. Yes, congratulations to Donovan Solano. He was, he's been nicknamed Donnie Barrels, but we should change it to Donnie Sweet Spots, as he was <laughs> one of the best at hitting the ball between eight and thirty-two degrees, and we mentioned it ad nauseum. But hitter, you know, when hitters hit it between eight and thirty-two degrees, they hit around six hundred and slug around eleven hundred. So it is a good recipes for success which is why we look at it um with our with our calculators and whatnot uh my my first custom award that i'll get into maybe maybe the the crowd favorite it is the snowballer of the year uh it is you know the snowballer of the year is the opposite of a you know that's the opposite of a fireballer you think fireballers you're thinking you know jordan hicks earl chapman you know jacob Degrom out there throwing busting out crazy fastballs with the snowballer of the year, we are looking at <clears throat> um, players, pitchers with uh, who do the best with low velocity fastballs. Um, and 
the 2021 winner was Adam Wainwright, who did very well with an average fastball of like 88, 89 miles per hour. Uh, the 2022 winner was Nestor Cortez, who had a 2.44 ERA despite having a fastball velocity in the 10th percentile. And this year's Snowballer of the Year has been a Chris Custom Award winner before with the Powerballer of the Year. I'm talking about Marcus Stroman. Uh, Marcus free agent. Stroman, a free agent. Why, why, do you th- why do you think he opted out of his deal? Because he was doing great with low fastball velocity. When the league, while the league averaged 93.3 miles per hour on all fastballs in 2023, Marcus Stroman's average fastball was 91.3 miles per hour, and he threw fastballs 64% of the time, despite being two miles per hour below the league average fastball velocity. And on those fastballs, he allowed a 326 slugging against, and out of 119 pitchers with a thousand plus fastballs thrown stroman had the lowest slugging against on fastballs despite having a an average fastball velocity two miles per hour below average and the next best ranked pitcher with sub at 92 mile per hour average fastball velocity was ranked 13th in slugging against on fastballs so marcus stroman was had garnered the best results in terms of slugging on fastballs uh, despite him having a well below average uh, fastball velocity. And, and by fastballs, I mean four seamers, cutters, and sinkers. Uh, all of them were pretty slow for, for Marcus Stroman, but he was successful with, the, with them. You know, uh, pretty good good um, prototypical ground ball pitcher, got good results, uh, be, you know, with, the, with those cutters, sinkers, and four seamers, uh, specifically the sinker. I think he throws the sinker like, 46% of the time and got good results on them. So shout out to Marcus Stroman, the snowballer of the year. What do we got for the next custom award? So for the next custom award, we got the Prince of pop-ups, which is given to a pitcher uh, that had a very high pop-up rate throughout the year. Um, and this year's winner is a very special uh, winner because he didn't just have a good pop-up rate for this year. He had a good pop-up rate historically. Uh, the winner Following up Corey Abbott of the Prince of Pop-Ups is Steven Wilson from the San Diego Padres. Steven Wilson had 27 pop-ups this year in 132 total batted balls. That is a 20.5% pop-up rate. And it is the fourth highest pop-up rate in the StatCast era, uh, minimum 100 batted balls against total. Uh, He actually had the highest pop-up rate in 2023 minimum 50 batted balls and he had 132 so he was truly dedicated to the craft he did it better than anybody else uh and he did it better than all but three people uh it's in the stat cast era and it's also the highest pop-up rate in the season with at least 100 batted balls since 2019 so congratulations to steven wilson on a tremendous season uh at getting the ball in the air Yes, congratulations to Stephen Wilson, the prince, the 2023 prince of pop-ups. And in case you're wondering, by the way, that list of uh, seasons in the StatCast era with at least 100 batted balls, that is uh, 3,608 seasons deep. And he's yes. number four on that list. Not, not, not cherry-picking whatsoever there. No. That is, uh, that is a long, long list. Um, my... So now we move on to my second custom award, which is the Powerballer of the Year. And that doesn't have to do with any velocity. I know, you know, 
we talk about like powerball or like that's a, a guy with a good powerball sounds, or sounds very strong it sounds very strong with powerball of the year i'm referencing like the powerball like the lottery who had the best luck of 2023 uh out of you know certain players with a certain amount of you know playing time where they could really develop a lot of luck and a lot of lucky hits and my powerballer of the year is another free agent one of the more high profile free agents which i do not want my team to sniff at all and that is cody bellinger who out of 81 hitters with 400 plus batted balls this year had the second luckiest difference in batting average and expected batting average and woba and expected woba he had the second lucky luckiest difference in both he was behind tj friedel who is a notorious bunter and infield hit aficionado and that does not benefit his expected stats but because he is able to get out of the box so quickly he's able to get more hits than he should be getting uh that's why tj friedel gets them whereas cody bellinger he doesn't really have that hitting style uh he doesn't get out of the box particularly that quickly so that's why i picked him as the powerballer of the year uh cody bellinger hit 309 on ground balls this year which was 61 points above league average and out of 125 hitters with 150 plus ground balls this season cody bellinger had the 10th highest average on on ground balls despite having the 97th highest average exit velocity on them typically if you're getting a if you're getting a ground ball hit it's got to be hit pretty hard but cody bellinger was not hitting his ground balls hard really at all in fact he hit 290 on non-hard hit ground balls which is 117 points above league average on non-hard hit ground balls and that's the league average for 2023 right um or is it total the league average on non-hard hit ground balls was Mm -hmm. 173 Um, but like in the year 2023 only right in the year so you can't even account for the shift there yes yes uh he had yeah for this year particularly he was 117 points above league average on non-hard hit ground balls and out of 97 hitters with 100 plus non-hard hit ground balls cody bellinger had the second highest average on them along with that there were 45 hitters to have 150 plus batted balls with exit velocities of 85 miles per hour or less and bellinger had the highest batting average on those batted balls on those 85 mile per hour or less batted balls and the second luckiest difference on batting average and expected batting average on them. He hit 314 on batted balls with exit velocities of 85 miles per hour or less. And the league batting average on those was 216. He hit 314, 98 points above that. So Cody Bellinger, congratulations. You just won yourself the power baller of the year. You were the luckiest player in baseball. Uh, is this the is this the first time uh, a position player has gotten a Christiana Custom Award? Um, I feel like it's always been pitchers. Yeah, yeah, it's easier for pitchers to do that or, mm-hmm. or to have that because they have like the defense behind I mean, them. Listen, Cody Bellinger better realize that's like a pitcher winning MVP. Or actually, <laughs> um, correction, Paul Goldschmidt won Power Baller of the Year last year, and uh... and guess what? He regressed mightily this year, so <laughs> it is a li- it's a little bit of a forecaster. So yeah, sorry, Cody Bellinger, but that's why I don't want the Red Sox to be involved with him at all. Um, he had he he did improve. He he improved his expected numbers. He improved his strikeout rate tremendously, but he was not as elite as his 
on the surface stats that he was, um, in my opinion. So, uh, what is your next custom award? My my next custom award is the fan favorite uh, in the clubhouse. It is the Mercy Award. Uh, I will not explain the contents of this award because if you don't know, it's better to find out while I'm explaining it. Uh, the last year's uh, Mercy Award winner was Griffin Jacks, who put up an incredible, uh, very specific 2022 season. And it was hard to follow up, but oh man, did somebody, a former How About That of mine, come through uh, this year. The winner of the Mercy Award in 2023 is JT Shajwa of the Miami Marlins, who put up a 48.1% mercy rate. What do I mean by that? The mercy rate is the percent of pitches right down the middle that are not swung at at all. They are watched. They are called strikes. Maybe sometimes they're balls. Probably not. But JT Shajwa threw 52 pitches in game day zone five defined by stack cast, which means right down the middle. And 25 of them, 48.1%, were not swung at by the opposing hitters. That's that's a free called strike when he was asking for the pitch to get hit to the moon. Uh, so this was the highest rate uh, in the majors. Minimum 50 pitches in game day zone five, uh, which was uh, 415 pitchers. But historically speaking, it's also the third highest rate in the StatCast era among the 3,238 seasons with at least 50 pitches in game day zone five. And it is the highest rate we've seen since 2016. So JT Shajwa put up a legendary season uh, of pitches down the middle being taken. And it was it was something to behold. If you ever get if you know how to use the Statcast search tool, watch these highlights. They're unreal. Yes, they're pretty electric. And I actually looked them up and I'm, I'm gonna show I'm gonna show the people a sneak peek. But yeah. um it's funny because uh last night I was I was thinking about the custom awards and I was like, oh right, the the Mercy Award. I'm excited for it. And yep. I was I was about to look look up what it was and then i was like no i want to i want to hear it from i want to hear it from the source here yeah. and i don't want to did you I forget what it was out. or did you like not know who won it um no I, I wanted to look up the stats but okay um, yeah no you gotta you gotta wait to you gotta wait and see but yeah, congratulations so then, to jt shajwa of the marlins uh you know probably part of the reason they got to the playoffs in some way in a very small way in a very minuscule way probably and if you're if you're listening to an app podcast or Spotify, go over to the YouTube channel. We are about to watch some uh, some game day zone five pitches, you know, middle middle pitches that are taken from uh, with uh, JT Shajwa. Um, this is my this is my favorite like start of Christmas season type movie. I said I'm delivering. I mean, look at that. It's right down the pipe. I'm not it's seeing anything at all. Um, uh, you are sharing something else. What what the heck? <laughs> My screen sharing was paused. It said my you, screen. You were sharing like a like a notebook or something, like a digital notebook. Okay. Um, there we go. That's the one. All right, here we go. Uh, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go to the YouTube channel. We are about to watch a couple a couple examples of JT Schwazwa having some middle middle. Page pitches just being taken right here. So here's one of the slider to change up, all from a high sidearm delivery. Bang. Yep. And then uh we'll we'll do one more. There were some good hitters to, to look for here. Uh, right? That's some good movement. Well, a good sinker. To be, 
to be fair that to be fair to Zach McKinstry there, that was a three zero pitch, but I don't <laughs> think it was all. Let's take a look at one. I wonder. It'd be very funny if all of these are just three zero. Yeah, some of these are oh oh. Some of these. Uh, they got a two one pitch right here. <laughs> the keeper. Yeah, I fooled him there. Slider. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, shout out to JT Shazwa having the most mercy uh put upon him. Uh, people were not swinging at his middle middle pitches. Now on to uh the final custom award. Um. Yeah, I believe that was your final custom award. That was. I love. I love going through the uh the highlights of of all the called strikes down the middle. It's like. You know, it's it's like part of the like okay, it's almost Christmas time feel for me. Yeah. You know, like World Series ends, you know, GM meetings happen, free agency begins, you know, BBWAA awards, going on Savant and watching college strikes down the middle. Yeah, it, seeing the hitters give the gift of not swinging at a middle middle pitch makes you want to give give gifts and you know during the holiday season. It's um, crazy. Almost half the time he threw it down the middle it was it was taken for a strike assuming i i i do filter by by called strikes and balls just in case i'm like i'm assuming there's no balls yeah be. yeah exactly maybe once a year you get like the accidental ball down the middle that was like that like pulled the catcher that was called a ball because the catcher like got duped right 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 um so now on to my final custom award, and that is the short end award. The short end award is the opposite of the uh, power baller of the year. It is the unluckiest player in baseball. And uh, I am talking about uh, one of the one of the players who I thought my, who who played under who I thought should have been the National League Manager of the Year. And I'm talking about Hunter Green. Um, he had some unfortunate luck this year. Out of 149 pitchers with 1,500-plus 15, pitches thrown, Hunter Green had the unluckiest difference in WOBA and expected WOBA. And out of 100 pitchers with 2,000-plus pitches thrown, he had the unluckiest difference in batting average and expected batting average. Uh, hitters had a 333 average against him on ground balls, which was 85 points above league average. And, dis and that was despite his average exit velocity on ground balls being 1.6 miles per hour below league average. So he had a much higher average on ground balls than league average, despite having a much lower than average exit velocity against on ground balls. And out of 179 pitchers with hundred plus grounders against them this year, Hunter green had the fourth highest average exit or got to restart that. Out of 179 pitchers with 100-plus grounders against them this year, Green had the fourth-highest average against on grounders, despite having the 147th-highest average exit velocity on ground balls. And uh, with runners in scoring position, it was worse. Hunter Green, uh, pit hitters against Hunter Green with runners in scoring position were hitting 385 on ground balls, despite the league average on ground balls being 248. And out of two thirds, 213 pitchers with 25 plus grounders with runners in scoring position. Green had the 14th highest average against on grounders. So, and overall in the year, he had a 342 BABIP as well, which is an indicator of bad luck there, which is unfortunate. And uh, Fangraphs was down last night, so I couldn't get where he ranked in um, 
in BABIP, but I imagine it was very, very high. Um, so, so yeah, Hunter Green, congratulations. You have won the short end award. You were the unluckiest player in baseball in 2023, according to me. Um, so yeah, that, uh, that is, that's it. That's another, that's another season of ARR. I mean, it's, it's, it's another off season, uh, starter of ARR, I should say. Yeah, it's going to yes. be an exciting offseason. Um, obviously, Shohei Otani's free agency will, uh, is, is this the thing we've been talking about for forever, and I'm glad it's finally going to be over, uh, unless he signs a one-year prove-it deal with the Rockies, which he very much might do. Yeah. I mean, honestly, hear me out. If Shohei Otani wants to sign a one-year prove-it deal, we're better than Colorado. Yeah, he's not going to be pitching. <laughs> exactly. He doesn't have to pitch. And he can just completely maximize his offensive prowess for a year. And it's like, hey, I'm on the mound again next year. I just put up an 1,100 OPS. Yeah. I brought the Rockies from 59 wins or however many they had to 78. Yeah. Just my bat somehow. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for the show. Hey, sweep, sweepstakes. The whole Tommy John thing puts a whole another wrench into the mix and makes yeah. it really, really interesting. But yeah, thank you everyone for joining the Above Replacement Radio Awards. Uh, it's been a yeah. pleasure. Um, love doing, I always love doing, you know, research and whatnot for this particular episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's always a fun time, whether, no matter what time of the year we're doing hits and misses or or our custom awards, you know, it's it's always fun to to do that stuff and, and have these uh, have these discussions. So um yeah hopefully hopefully 2024 goes a little bit better with the uh the players to watch because this was just a very poor showing from both of us i mean 2022 is actually pretty good for both of us my number my number one and two hits were Stephen kwan and nate low who both broke out who were years again um 2022 yeah for my hit oh god i forget um Your number one hit i forget I, i'm gonna have to <laughs> i uh um oh my i'll just yeah i'll look up on google drive my biggest flop which was brennan davis and then mine was mine was carlos hernandez and that baseball um, savant uh input error oh yeah my best hit my best hit wasn't great it was logan gilbert i would say i was better with my hits this year but i also had worse flops yeah Um, you did have some good hits justin Steele was really was really solid yeah i i I wish i didn't go with hayden westneski but oh well I was I was satisfied with my hits. However, yeah, I, I I did have some some real uh some real duds as they say. Um, so yeah, uh, that shall do it for this installment of Above Replacement Radio. We hope you enjoyed this one. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. If you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Kern and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking free agent predictions, free agent predictions, and probably recapping who won these, uh, who won these awards a little bit, even though there's not really much to talk about there, but we will see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.